Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. got both. All right. We're on. Uh, good to be back. It's been quite a while since we chatted about Bitcoin. Uh, there's a couple other videos if you want to go check them out where we talk about BCH and BSV, but I'm excited to jump in. Right now, I want to just start right off with 2020. Is this the magical year? Is this the year where one version of Bitcoin will emerge as the undisputed champion? TK, I want to start with you. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it depends what we mean. If we mean, is this the year that all all other forms of competition will be eliminated and wiped out? Um, I think it's a little. I think twenty twenty is a little early for that. But what I have said and what I do believe is that this is the year that BSV will silence a lot of the haters. Uh, it will prove a lot of the doubters wrong. It will emerge um, um, in, in in not just mainstream credibility. But in terms of transaction volume and business adoption and um, on-chain application development, it is going to distinguish itself. Now, I, I did say in, in my conversation with Steve on Twitter about the kinds of things that BSV must deliver. One of the things I said is that it's got to become a top five coin in 2020, uh, not just in terms of coin market cap, you know. But I, I talked about utility, and it's it's already happening earlier than we thought. But I think that's only going to be further. Um, further instantiated as we move through 2020. I do so think you're, this is so a you're year confident. BSB. You're confident that like 2020 BSB is going to outperform all of the other versions of Bitcoin. Yeah, we're already at the on the metrics that matter. Not not speculation like number go up. I, I still believe it's possible that there can be some tether manipulation that drives BTC price up. But I believe that in this year, my prediction is that no coin is going to even come close to beating BSV on those metrics, on-chain application development and transaction volume. You don't I believe think BSV is going to distinguish itself. You and don't the think there's only any... thing people will have is, is something to say about Craig Wright. That's all So, so you, you, you admit that, um, or you open the possibility that uh, other coins could go up in price based on tether manipulation, but Bitcoin, BSV has no manipulation going on to, to drive the price. No, I think the whole market is manipulated. I, I, I wouldn't doubt at all that the BSV price goes up because of manipulation. I think the whole market is crazy. Yeah. What I'm saying is that regardless of price, where I think BSV is going to win is on those two metrics, transaction volume 
and on-chain business development. So question for you, TK, you said that already you see kind of the winds blowing that direction. Um, so what are those metrics right now that you would say uh, have already improved? So there are, are there more applications being developed that you're aware of that you say, ah, oh, this is, this is a really good sign. Yeah. So, um, peer game introduced, uh, they, they produced this, like they haven't done it maybe in like the last couple of weeks. I think the most recent one was maybe like two, three weeks ago, but they produced this report where they list out all the different, um, applications and businesses being developed on the BSV blockchain. And as of the latest report, BSV is pretty close to at least like one development a week. Um, if you look at the, um, the way in which Calvin is incentivizing on-chain application development with, with a lot of funding, a lot of the things that they do at CoinGeek to support this, um, BSV is already doing that. So, so we're at the rate of like one a week. Uh, in terms of transaction volume, that has been steadily increasing. The I like only how, I like how the transaction using, volume has not like been the number. It's been, oh, these are not legitimate examples yeah. of transaction volume. Yeah, yeah. And we're also seeing hash power um, where BCH and BSV was even just a month ago. Uh, BSV has improved significantly there as well. So I would I like say that TK, is a third metric. You've, fully, you've just gone all the way. And now when you refer to BSV, you say we. <laughs> you're in, man. <laughs> you're, you're, you drank the Kool-Aid. It's all... <laughs> Um, I, I, I want to get back to in, in the future uh, later in this conversation, um, like what are all these apps and stuff? Are there, are they real business use yeah, cases? Yeah, yeah. People are making money. And I, I want to ask that of all the coins, but let's move to, to Derek. Derek, 2020, what happens in 2020? Well, we have three days left until the Chinese New Year. So I think <laughs> Craig's uh, prediction for $1,200 could still be accurate. There's probably some other New Year in some other culture that yeah, we can use like, if that doesn't happen. Yeah, they might be using way. a different calendar, right? Yeah. yeah. Martian, yeah. Martian Gregorian. Year or something. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Gregorian crime calendar. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess... Uh, I do think that I, I, I think that one that one that I'm confident about is that BSV and BCH will diverge a bit more in their in their roadmaps and will for an investor's perspective who is on the fence about both of them, there might be a better answer to which one they should uh, invest in long term. Um, and I think that's about the only prediction that I have that I think I'm I'm confident about. Um, the rest I, I'm I'm not especially confident about. I do think it's going to be a more exciting year for Bitcoin Cash. Um, I think that there's a lot of development under work right now that will be more exciting. And I think that the community, or I don't want to say the community because I don't really like that term. I think that the people who matter in Bitcoin Cash have woken up a little bit to the problems with the community and with the development. Um, and I think that that will likely get fixed uh, sometime in 2020. And so if those things happen, I think that will make... Uh, the decision between BSV and BCH more of an interesting choice for people. Um, and yeah, as far as BSV goes, I mean, it's, it's pretty much, I, I think indisputable now that they have done a lot more than people predicted that they would. I mean, when I saw people complaining about the, you know, the price rising recently <laughs> and calling it a pump and dump, I mean, these were the same people saying that BSV would die a year ago and it didn't die. And in fact, every day I see some new, uh, celebrity Twitter account or whatever using hand cash to get donations or 
money button or something like that. I mean, there's some interesting stuff happening and, and I use BSV regularly. I mean, use BS, I use BCH regularly too. I use BCH for um, um, buying things on eGifter all the time now pretty much um, to get gift cards and stuff like that. Hey man, that. if but, people are going to send me money, I'm agnostic on that. Yeah, and that's ahead. basically what I am too. You know, I mean, if I, can, <laughs> if I can earn money and then I can use it to trade into whatever coin I want, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, so, so you think the main thing is that BSV and BCH, big block Bitcoin, <clears throat> they will distinguish themselves a lot more in terms of unique approaches, value props. They, their brands will become more separate um, in, in their identities will be more separate. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably going to happen. I think, I think that's an, a, important to happen. I would like to see it happen just so there's a more uh, clear choice. I mean, a lot of people say there is a clear choice now. I tend to think of it more as like probabilities and stuff like that, yeah. like we've talked about before. Um, I've wondered what- about the opposite. Like, what are the odds that there's a reunification of big block Bitcoin that maybe one starts to win in some way and a bunch of people just say, all right, the other one died and we're all on this train or they, I don't even know technically if you can re-merge or something, but I wondered about that. Like a, like a reunification of big block Bitcoin seems like it's not out of the realm of possibility. Maybe there's too much bad blood. I mean, I would, I would rather see that happen than, you know, just a whole one of them just die and, and everyone just leave, you know, or everyone just get crushed financially. I mean, I, I don't like seeing that happen. So it would be nice to see uh, some sort of reunification, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm, I'm not, I'm not as, yeah, I'm not, I don't think that will necessarily happen personally. Steve, what um, does 2020 hold for Bitcoin? By a 97.8 probability <laughs> that the price will be exactly $1,007 on June 3rd. No. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think 2020 is going to be a really interesting year for um, the whole crypto space. We ha- we've had a, a long bear market. There's a lot of bullish signs. Um, for BCH, I know there's a bunch of cool development that's happening right now this year. Um, there's a couple of things that I'm personally uh, working on or closely connected to that haven't even been public yet that are really cool and they're on BCH. And on BSV, I think, uh, I, I agree with TK, I think it's going to be somewhat defining, um, at least in terms of, for lack of a better uh, uh, term, a credibility. Um, I, I think BCH might be poised to really look like it's being adopted in the real world by entrepreneurs and people like, I want to talk about Kim, Kim.com and the significance of that um, later. And if BC, if BSV doesn't deliver and it's constantly delays, you know, Craig never moves the coins, the book never comes out. It's the same story of promises that are just around the corner, but never materialize. I'm optimistic that BCH might be um, pulling away a little bit. Now, the opposite story could be true. It might be that BSV does deliver. And there's, you know, Calvin's been saying, well, you know, big, I'm talking to these big companies, they're about to put a lot of stuff on the BSV blockchain. If that's true, it's a big deal. I think if you see a massive company putting, it could be data on the blockchain, even if it's not the most perfectly technically, theoretically, economically efficient use of the blockchain, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. If, if people yeah. are actually using the blockchain, that could be uh, very valuable. I think there are certain incentives in the BSV world, which are right now better than BCH. So I see it as kind of a uh, uh, I don't. Know, I, I feel like the two are really in the ring this year, and they're going to be fighting it out. And it's nice, you know, it's nice to have a a, a foot in both corners, or or be, or, or see the pros and cons of both corners, because I still see a real possibility that either can win out. I mean, 
something that's coming down the line for BCH is this avalanche protocol, which is supposed to improve zero conf. And it might be really awesome. It might be a really cool development that makes um, Bitcoin Cash uh, that much more secure for zero conf and uh, instant transactions and stuff. But it's also going, potentially going to be a big change. And it might break the system in ways that we don't understand. So I think it's kind of awesome that we have the BSV keeping everything locked down and the original functional protocol that we know works and will scale, no problem, even if it loses some properties of decentralization. And we also have another big block Bitcoin that is innovating that at the protocol level and trying to come up with new things and that might succeed. So the, the competition between those two, as much as it's, it's frustrating at times, it's really, it's really beneficial as well to see you've got two different big block Bitcoins that are, they've got to compete on strategy, on protocol level development, on application level development, on trying to attract talent, on trying to attract businesses and users and adoption. And that's, I think that's been, it's forced both of them to be better versions of themselves, at least yeah. in the near term. And I agree with um, uh, Derek that I think we're going to see more and more diversion of BSV and BCH. And I'm super glad to see it because it, it wasn't clear at all what the, the relevant distinctions were between BCH and BSV, which was not good. Um, but now I, BSV, if you're thinking about the two coins as two different systems with different principles and different philosophies, when BSV throws out that the principle of um, decentralization being this obsessive thing that you have to focus on and you have a relatively relatively centralized um, uh, development community and miners and businesses and it's all very tightly integrated that might work really well uh, so B bch isn't going that direction so that's a that's a, one of those fundamental systemic differences between the two that I think is going to be awesome to see uh, play out. And it's it's so funny to see some of these BCH people re repeating the exact same lines from um, BTC when they say, "Oh, well, BSV is the centralized shitcoin," which is exactly what they said. What the BTC people said about BCH yeah. that BCH is a centralized shitcoin. But the reality is, it's just a difference in philosophy. It's a spectrum, and how much decentralization you think is okay. And meanwhile, the real world differences between all three of them uh, are almost laughable in terms, you look at the mining in yeah. all of them and it's, it's all the same 12 miners mining all three well, freaking chains. Right. And there, there's another, again, like a principle here, which is it's also unclear with the metric that people are using to determine centralization and decentralization might be the wrong metric. So it, you could make a strong case that actual real world adoption is going to be the thing that causes a real concrete decentralization in the world. Like you get a million businesses that are actually using your Bitcoin, even if the mining is centralized, that could be a very, that could actually in practice be more decentralized than one in which, you know, the blocks are small and there's a, a larger set of uh, uh, miners in a pool. For example. So I want to I talk a little bit about real world use cases. Um, TK and I were talking about this a little bit. I feel like the, there's something that most people don't want to talk about in, in any version of it. And that is the fact that almost all use cases are just ridiculously hampered by the volatility of the price. And obviously that destroys the store of value narrative if the price is so unpredictable and you don't know what you're storing from one day to the next. But it also dramatically hampers 
the medium of exchange narrative because I have no incentive as a merchant to accept Bitcoin cash or whatever it might be if a week from now its price might plummet. I want to flip it back into fiat as fast as possible. And even in the course of a few hours, it could change prices. So like, I don't want to take that risk. So it got me thinking about, and maybe BSV is, is onto something here, I'm not sure, but use cases that are potentially massive in scale, but that don't care so much about fluctuations in price. Um, and that doesn't seem like mom and pop stores. That doesn't seem like retail for consumer goods. That seems like something more like, hey, I'm putting massive amounts of data on here or whatever. The price of the coin is less relevant to me than some other functionality. Um, I, I just, I haven't seen very many people who talk about merchant adoption address the fact that like as a business, why the hell would you want to accept something that can lose or gain humongous amounts of value in the span of hours or days if you're just, you're just adding, it's like instead of doing one transaction, cash, you know, USD to USD, you do Bitcoin to, one other, to another Bitcoin wallet, and then you got to flip that into USD. You're adding transactions because you want it to be stable. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, can you have widespread adoption until you have price not be so volatile? And if so, is that ever going to happen? Like, is that just a is that a, a, a killer problem with any fork of Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I think this is where payment processors are kind of a critical piece of the puzzle here. Um, this is when, when BitPay was arguably the first big um, payment processor, it was a very big deal because the risk to merchants is significant of uh, volatility. And <clears throat> practically speaking, the more on-roads we have through payment, uh, payment processors, the more the coin actually gets used as a functional payment system, which it has unique benefits as a functional payment system, then I think the, the overall market grows. And I think the idea is that when it's used sufficiently, uh, uh, oftenly in, uh, sufficiently often in commerce, and grows to a substantial market cap, then the volatility will go down. So I think that's something where that it might be 30 years from now, um, but I think we can get there. And there's also a role for stable coins. That both the big block Bitcoins, you can put stable coins on there. It's not too complex. And that could also um, increase adoption in practice, which is going to, in the long run, reduce volatility. Derek TK, you have any thoughts on the volatility? I mean, I, I agree with I agree with Steve. I guess I'm, I'm not. I don't really care as much about volatility personally. I mean, I still use it all the time. I, I don't know how the rest of the market responds, but I I use uh, both forks at any price, and, and I I find that if anything, the volatility helps me make money as long as I just keep uh, you know earning it uh, on a regular schedule um, or, or purchasing it. I actually end up up oftentimes anyway. So, um, I guess I'm not, I'm, I, I, I can only evaluate it from my own personal use uses and I just still buy stuff. I mean, but if you yeah. were, if you were advising a, you know, a restaurant that does a half a million in sales every year or something and like, Hey, you should, you should start paying everybody in BCH. Now their employees are going to be like, or BSV or whatever. Yeah. You know, their employees are going to so, be like mad if they get paid and then you know, two days later, they've lost 20% of what they just earned because the market fluctuates. Yeah. I mean, there's, so there's some nice so there's no value add to them. For, for uh, well, if you, if you think short term, there's not necessarily value. Add. So obviously short term can matter, but like 
if, if you're thinking about I'm getting paid this month and yeah, it drops a little bit, but then next month I get paid and it's down and then it goes back up. I actually got more. Or it goes in a two-year bear market. Or it goes in a two-year bear market. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, one thing though is like, uh, there, there are products that, that alleviate some of this. So like, I know like Bitwage yeah. um, allows but those, you to- But those are all adding complexity to something that's very simple. I just well, pay your checking account with USD. Like what's the Bit, value Bitwage is pretty simple to use. And so you can actually like, it can, I, I, it will split your money. So you can, you can, the employee can choose what level of, um, of money they want to keep in Bitcoin cash or something like that. Um, and so if you just want to say, I only want to receive 10% right now or, or 5%, and that may be a way to to do it as well. So, you know, onboarding is a little bit slower, but you have people just taking a small percentage of their income as opposed to the entirety of their income. Man, I just I'm yeah. starting to really doubt the retail and consumer level adoption strategy. Oh, like I, I doubt just, that too. There just I is agree. no like enterprise level seems dramatically orders of magnitude more effective. Yes, but yeah. I, that, that use case of the restaurant <clears throat> is going to be a, I think an unlikely scenario for a while just because other methods are easier, but if you're a, a company an international company and you have employees and contractors in multiple different countries, then suddenly it makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, what's exactly. what's Open Bazaar doing right now in throughput? You know how much they're processing I, every month, year. No, I, I I don't know. <clears throat> trying to think of other businesses that. Do you guys think this same problem exists if the primary function is data storage? Same problem as in terms of volatility, or like if the price yeah, is still going to be low. Same volatility problem. Do you think that approach is less, more, or equally vulnerable? I think the data storage model uh, can be used to argue that Bitcoin should have uh, initial value. It's like an answer to the regression theorem because you can use it for data storage. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that, I think the cost per transaction is indefinitely going to be extremely low. Even if the price per coin is very, very high, like, you know, a million dollars a coin, they can change the the code such that you still get uh, you know, a penny per unit of data. So I think that use case isn't going anywhere. And, and it's, it's cool to have, this is one of the reasons I, I think BSV has at least a better marketing tactic here. Um, I think that's not going anywhere. The use case for putting data in the blockchain is not going to go anywhere. It doesn't really matter if it's a penny or a million dollars. Yeah, it's more like, hey, here's a really unsexy industrial use case or you know, enterprise use case um, that's going to establish some kind of backbone utility and baseline yeah. market value the way that gold used in actual industrial applications maybe has or something like that. And then once you have that established as a, as a commodity in its own right, um, the fact that you know, now you can trade you know, bits of that commodity and, and use them as a medium of exchange or something maybe comes on top of that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting... So, so let's talk about BSV. We just had... We just had a huge run up in price, like three x price in a span of a couple of weeks. Uh, why? Why'd that happen? Anybody? Any theories? I, I mean, I think the easy theory is that Craig is rumored. Well, what was rumored to have access to private keys of like a million Bitcoin? And so people thought, oh, well, maybe this means that Craig is actually Satoshi and is going to destroy the other chains and BSV has lots of legitimacy. I think that's part of it. I don't think that's the whole story, but I do think that's part of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of uh, news hype around BSV um, pretty regularly now. Uh, just on, on the random people on Twitter, people who were not even into Bitcoin before, or at least that into Bitcoin, who are not people who are involved in crypto, suddenly talking about BSV. Um, so uh, I don't think that's something that should be laughed at. Uh, and I, I see a lot of people in B Bitcoin Cash laugh at everything that happens in B uh, BSV, you know, and it's like, ha, 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 we are so much better than you. You are so stupid, you know, and, and I see that stuff. And I think well, you guys, like Steve said, sound a lot like core. Um, and you just don't sound that intelligent. You should be trying to learn what you can learn. You know, if you're a selfish learner, you just want to learn, you know, if, if something good is, is, is happening. So for example, like the other day, I saw someone commenting that, um, oh, Twitch must be paying influencers to join their platform. And, and I have no clue whether that's true or not, but I think that's a pretty standard practice uh, early. <laughs> you know, and so for, if my thought is like, well, if they're doing that, it's probably pretty good. That's oh, Twitch, Twitch is a business. They're trying <laughs> yeah. to grow. Yeah, they're thinking, exactly. they're thinking they're like using a marketing. And, yeah, and I was like, I was shocked that people were even having this discussion like this was a bad thing. And so hey, Twitch, I, if you want to pay us uh, for talking about Twitch on here, just, you know, shoot me yeah. an email. I mean, I, I, would, I would gladly. And, and, and so that to me seems like a smart strategy. And, and when I see things that I think BSV are doing that are smart like that, and I see them laughed at in, in various Bitcoin Cash Telegram groups, I think, wow, I wish you guys weren't doing that. So there, so, so there is a non-zero probability that the claim that a lot of people who don't like BSV make when this price run-up happened. Oh, here it is. It's the exit. It's an exit scam. It's a pump and dump. <laughs> Somebody's trying to drive the price way up and then get out. So everyone's left holding the bags. And the nice thing about that claim is you can make it indefinitely. You know, you can just every, you can keep saying that be like, oh, well, they're not ready to exit yet, but they will in two years or whatever. Um, but that those have actually happened in the ICO phase. There was a lot of those. Um, that is not out of the realm of possibility. That shouldn't be dismissed. It's, it's easy to say, and you can tell sometimes it's just motivated by people that don't like a, a particular coin. They don't look into it. But what is the probability that BSV is a giant, uh, you know, chance for Enchain, Calvin, Craig, whoever to create this fork, pump the price up, and then get out of Dodge? Do you, do you think that has a, a legitimate chance of being true? And TK, for you in particular, I know you don't or you wouldn't be so high on it. But if you divorce yourself from what you like about SV and just look at the probability of that happening, what makes you confident that that's not what's going on? Yeah. So let me just be clear, man. I don't, I don't psychologically have a need for BSV to win or for any of this stuff to happen. As you all know, I was a very happy guy living a very happy life before I knew anything <laughs> about any of this stuff. So if BSV goes to shits, I promise you all, I'm still going to be a happy dude. I'm going to be successful at whatever I do. So I don't base any of my beliefs on I this stuff. I don't care like, because I have the patents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be fine. I've got patents on all my beliefs. So I don't need like BSV to win psychologically. I just think it will win because I, I think there's a lot of, of evidence to suggest that. So first, when it comes to the run-up, I never try to explain pumps because I, I never know what's going on there. But I do think it's funny how unique the reaction was to the BSV pump. Um, for instance, when, when we had the D-list BSV uh, phenomenon where the whole crypto community gathered together as one to get rid of BSV from the exchanges, they all pronounced it dead. They all said, ha, 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 it's now going to die because you can't access it from exchanges. And everyone was worried about it. 
And when Craig and Calvin said, fine, we don't need the exchanges, everyone laughed and said, ha ha, you're making excuses. Then when it pumps without the exchanges, what does everyone say? They change the narrative. Oh, it's oh of course you pumped because no one had, yeah. there's, it's not yeah, on any exchange. can sell it. I, I anybody, saw several people Anybody can that. 3X a coin that's not listed on an exchange. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is exactly what they accuse supporters of BSV of doing, of, of changing the narrative. They'll always change the narrative to suit what they believe. But here's why I think the probability is low that there's an exit pump. So the idea that there's a pump and dump scheme is based on the presumption of greed, Right. We're assuming that these guys are in it for themselves. And I like that presumption. I, I think Bitcoin works on that presumption. I do believe that Calvin is trying to make as much money as possible. So the best way for him to really pump, to really make a lot of money, is to just beat the competition, right? So if we're assuming that Calvin is selfish, that he's a guy that wants more money, his best chance of doing that is by wiping everybody else out. So I'm not so sure... That, that the only explanation for selfishness is like he wants to pump and dump. The second thing is, at what number do you think it would be profitable for them to dump BSV given the amount of initial investment? You, you, like when you look at a lot of the ICOs, that was a pretty simple formula for pump and dump. You have a bunch of people with no money who show some flashy, you know, say some flashy buzz phrases. They raise, you know, $10 million dollars. And then they leave. There was no initial investment in building out an infrastructure. Calvin has invested a tremendous amount of money. The amount of skin in the game that he's put in is absolutely ridiculous. Dumping do, for do we know? Bucks, do we have any estimates? For a bucks? So do what? we know what? Do we know what that is? Like I think he estimates? said that he's put like a hundred million dollars. But who? I mean, that's what that's by his own words. I, I do know. Like, I mean, if we look at, for example, just the Bitcoin.com. Um, uh, uh, fun, uh, funds analysis or whatever about the cost of the hash war. I think Bitcoin.com has spent like a million dollars on the hash war, which is you know pretty costly alone. And I imagine that. Uh, and, and SV has been mined at a loss like most of the time. Is that right? I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I, I believe it has been mining at a loss. Like when you, when you look at Coindance, I feel like a good percentage of the time I look at it, it's like, at least it's certainly mined at an opportunity cost versus mining other chains most of the time. I don't know if it's actually a, a yeah. It might just a be a few loss. percent. Uh, although now it's not going to be the case after the price pump. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm I'm just questioning TK if there's if we have any idea of what all has been put into you know uh, is Coin Geek just bleeding money or is it actually a stable or, uh, you know, end chain or whatever these various businesses are stable, profitable thing. Cause they're mining BTC and BCH as well. Like maybe they're making money. Maybe they don't have as much skin in the game as we think. I mean, I, I don't know that it seems like they do. They have the appearance of having a ton of skin in the game. I just don't know for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I say, you know, even let's just take what the critics say, right? The critics say the only reason that Craig is able to get away with all this smack talking and taking people to court or filing lawsuits is because Calvin is backing him. What's the biggest criticism people make of the mining on BSV? They say, oh, Calvin's doing all the mining, right? Uh, what's the criticism people make of BSV uh, media? Oh, Calvin's financing it all with CoinGeek. What's the criticism that people make of BSV patents? Sure, if you're willing to spend millions of dollars fouling all of these meaningless patents, that's easy to do. What's the biggest criticism that people make of all the on-chain application development for BSV? Oh, sure, if Craig is spending millions of dollars incentivizing these developers to build, so whenever the critics talk about BSV, 
they point to Craig's millions being poured into it. So you can't hold both positions at once. You can't be an agnostic on Craig having a whole lot of skin in the game and at the same time dismiss the success of BSV based on the fact that Craig is just bankrolling the whole thing. One of those beliefs has to be let go. Yeah, the, the pump and dump or the exit scam idea as we typically think of it, as we saw it with some of the ICOs and stuff, seems extremely unlikely because you could have done it many times earlier uh, when things were in a bull run. And Calvin strikes me as the type of guy, he's made enough money in life. Guys like that, when they get to this stage, they want something massive, epic, or it's not interesting to them. And so I, I, I don't think there's, there seems very low probability that it's like a, hey, we're going to walk away with 50 million bucks or 100 million bucks. <laughs> but if it's like the greatest scam in world history, um, that actually seems more likely than that it's like a moderately sized attempt at some sort of scam. But Derek, Steve, pump and dump, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, nobody explains the mechanics of this particular pump and dump. This is very different from what happened with the ICO craze. So with the ICO uh, nonsense, you could write a nonsense white, white paper. Some, some of them were like copied and pasted from other places. They were just horseshit. Then you convince outside investors to invest in your shitty project. You release the coin on a network that you're not mining, on the Ethereum network, and you can make a lot of money. And that's, that was successful. But that's not the BSV circumstance. They're, they are the ones investing in a lot of the mining. And they're not, I don't see... Uh, I don't think it makes sense to say they're buying up the coins to pump it and then they're going to sell the coins to dump it. Like, no, if you're doing a pump and dump, it has to be a, a hype and dump. You have to sell your coins to other people. So the idea that like they're the ones pushing all this money to, rise the pri- to raise the price and then they're going to sell it to themselves or something, it just doesn't check out. I think it's extremely low probability. I don't think you can even... Dump. I don't even think you could exit enough money exactly. fast enough exactly. from the small market cap well, to, you, to make it. You would necessarily have to find a pool of buyers that aren't yourself to dump all your coins onto. And if you're the only person that's, uh, that's buying and you're not successfully hyping, then you're just burning money. It's not a pump and dump. It, it looks from the, from the outset, or from the outside anyway, that over the last few years it almost felt like the BSV crowd, the N-chain sort of circle, they almost, against what they initially wanted, kept vertically integrating more. Like, okay, we've got miners that will do the mining and we've got, we just want to like, whatever, develop and patent a bunch of shit. And then once they realized that the miners were going to do a bunch of stuff they didn't like, they're like, well, crap, we got to get into the mining business now. And then they started investing, okay, now we got to fund applications as well. And they just decided to build this whole vertically integrated structure because they felt like they thought they'd be able to trust other parties and they didn't end up liking what those other parties did. But it didn't seem like, hey, let's go in, let's create all this infrastructure, let's pump it. It almost seemed like at every step, they were, they were assuming they wouldn't be the one doing it. I mean, they even were like, nobody writes good articles about us, so we'll buy CoinGeek and start writing our own <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They, they fund all their own conferences because they don't like everybody else's conferences, right? So, you can say what you will about that, but that's a very costly to be vertically integrated along every step of the ecosystem. That's like a, if that's a pump and dump, that's like the most long-term <laughs> well, bold scam in history. Yeah. And just to, two points on that. So <clears throat> part of the criticisms I've heard of BSV is, um, 
not just like the, the pump and dump that they sell, it's for money laundering. That's the other explanation for the existence of BSV. And if it is for money laundering, you know, hey, look, in my opinion, it's serving a, a valuable market function. I'm sure they wouldn't like to hear that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but this, this story also doesn't make that much sense. Wouldn't you want to launder just, on a larger coin? Well, no, you could launder on any coin. The, as long as but you, I mean, if you you're have, if you're laundering large amounts of money, wouldn't you want to do it where the market cap's bigger and you're not so much of a? I guess uh, maybe, uh, or I think you could pretty much do it on any coin. But all is is the explanation that oh, all of these conferences are being funded and the application development is being funded. All this vertical integration is, as you say so that there's credibility so they can get accepted on exchanges and then launder money? Are they laundering money now? I think that explanation also doesn't hold water. And when you listen, so it's like, okay, well, we have another explanation for BSV, which is it's actually just a legitimate project with a different philosophy than the other coins. Um, I've heard a lot of the criticism from BCHB things like, well, clearly it's a scam project because they want to put data on chain and Craig is a scammer. Those are pretty much the two things. It's like self-evidently a project that can be disregarded because they have a, <laughs> a, a belief that data shouldn't be put on chain because it's not maximally economically efficient and Craig's a scammer. That's a really weak argument. I think overwhelmingly the explanation that makes the most sense is Craig or, or Calvin is actually investing because he wants the project to succeed. Whether or not he will, of course, is an open question. But I, th I think it's such a tiny likelihood that this is, a scam. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a pump and dump. I, I agree with basically everything that's being said. Um, I really like Isaac's point too about you know what does someone at Calvin's age and Calvin's level of wealth like what what excites them? I mean, it's, it's if Calvin's going to be some like you know like like scheming. You know, uh, I, 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 under that theory, I almost see it like the wet band, wet bandits from uh, Home Alone. You know, like, like if you think it's a pump and dump, like Calvin and Craig are like the wet bandits. I don't see that being the case. I see Calvin like playing, like wanting to play a much bigger game, yeah. focusing on like his actual legacy, you know, uh, than, uh, than trying to make a quick buck yeah. with, with BCH. I mean, there's way better ways to do it. I mean, yeah. I, it feels like with, with that level of wealth and that level of connections, <laughs> Why get into this game of all places um, to try to make a quick buck? Uh, so I don't, I don't see it at all. And, and I honestly think when I, when I look at this stuff and I see people, you know, calling it a scam, <clears throat> again, to me, it's just a bad sign on, um, from the people calling it a scam that they, that they are, like, it seems like they want it to be a scam versus having serious evidence for it. Well, they overcommitted. They overcommitted yeah. because their now their psychological structure is based on this uh, unexaminable belief that the people in BSV were a bunch of uh, idiots. Like for technical reasons that that you know the the savages in BSV didn't understand their project couldn't work, which must mean they're stupid. Which means if they have any success, it reflects badly on those who are demonizing them. It seems so hard I, for yeah. everybody in yep. Twitter, I um, mean, crypto to not overblow. You know, there will be no split. Segwit will be destroyed. Yeah. You know, BSV let's be clear. It's not like six yeah. months. Mark my words. You know? A lot of people in BSV do some of this stuff too. I mean, yeah, I, I see it all the time. Like, like. Every everyone's going to jail by the end of twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that that or, happens too. Or when you know the, the, the particular when, fallacy that, or I don't know if it's a fallacy, but just when I'm looking, when I'm analyzing as a thinking about likelihoods of success, we talked about abuses of the concept of skin in the game last time. Um, but the sense in which skin in the game is very very 
important as a good signal. When I look into the crypto world, the bar none, nobody even comes close. The two people with the most skin in the game are Roger Ver, which is the main reason that I'm never ready to give up on BCH because this is a guy with more skin in the game than I've seen anywhere else. And Enchain, Craig and Kelvin. And to me, those are bullish signs. Whether they're right or wrong, whether they're delusional or not, whether they're doing it out of greed or altruism, doesn't matter. Two entities that have large quantities of capital, personal capital influence, and have put it all on this thing is a bullish sign to me. And I, I see those, like anybody that criticized that, oh, well, Roger just likes it because he's hinged his entire life on it succeeding. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. which one yeah. do you think came first, you know? Um, so to me, those are, those are good signs for both forks. Yeah, and that's similar to what um, Derek has mentioned that you, you got to put yourself in the mindset or try to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who's already phenomenally wealthy and successful. You've got these, a lot of these crypto people that don't have a whole bunch of resources maybe and haven't had a bunch of real world success. No, like think about and the BTC th- fans on Twitter. What are they going to yeah. lose if BTC fails? Oh, I have right. to give up my anonymous shit handle on Twitter. You know, like followers and, and, and my 0.01 BTC. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, but, and when these people are, are imagining the, the evil scheme from uh, Calvin, they're like, Oh, he's going to do this. He's going to walk away with millions of dollars. <laughs> well, maybe that's not actually that yeah. much. Or I remember this very distinctly because there's one uh, developer in BCH who I don't like, uh, who doesn't like me either. But um, he, <laughs> anyway, I remember when the BSV split happened, he said, oh, BSV, it's definitely going to fail. It can't succeed because Calvin is a, would just be burning money, just be burning millions yeah. of dollars because nobody's going to value the chain. It's like... Okay, that is a reflection of a lack of creative thinking about how somebody with hundreds of millions or billions of dollars worth of resources is trying to strategize. So, they, the, so the venture capital industry can't exist. Either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's so many levels of that argument that are so wrong and preposterous. Like, first of all, a $10 million investment is nothing when you're a billionaire looking to have fun, right? It might pay off massively. Like it just could make him billions of dollars, no question. And even if it's just for a party, even if it's because he's like sitting back and smoking cigarettes and he likes to, you know, watch the world burn the cost of $10 million, that's a total possibility as well. Somebody could spend $10 million just to fuck with people because they think it's fun. That's a real possibility when you're at that level. TK, let me ask you a question. I want to I want to transition to I want to talk about a couple things on BCH, some of this development funding stuff, uh, Kim.com stuff. But I want to start with asking TK about BCH. As a as a guy who who's firmly believes that BSV has the highest likelihood to succeed. Can I answer every question with the honorable Craig Wright teaches us? Doctor, Doctor, <laughs> um, Doctor Wright. I thought, I, thought it was, I thought it was Reverend, isn't it? <laughs> Reverend Doctor Esquire. Um, TK. When you look at BCH, um, is there anything that you see that you're like, I like that. They got that right. That actually excites me. I would love to see more of that on BSV. Roger Air. And, and by the way, I, I know I just lost all my BSV friends by saying that. Uh, but yeah, because the more I study the history of Bitcoin, the more undeniable it is that regardless of what anybody thinks of this guy, 
we would not even be in a position to be having these conversations today without his passion, without his investments, without, without his great ability to be an articulate spokesperson for how Bitcoin can change the world. Um, I, 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 I just don't think you can. So I, I heard Colin Cowherd talk about one time, you know, the, the, the NBA. Since, since this is a crypto thing for everyone, Colin Cowherd is a sports uh, analyst and a commentator. <laughs> you mean like a trigger warning for sports, like sports analogy incoming. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get coffee until I'm done with this point. But a Colin Cowherd said, here's how you determine if someone belongs in the NBA Hall of Fame. Try to tell the story of basketball from the beginning and see if you can tell that story without mentioning that person's name. So you can't tell the story of basketball without Magic Johnson, without Larry Bird, without Will Chamberlain. And if, and if you can't do that, then that person belongs in the Hall of Fame. If you can, then they don't belong. I don't think you can tell the story of Bitcoin from the beginning without mentioning Roger Bear's name an awful lot in a very positive way. I would absolutely love to see him and Craig get to the bottom of whatever it was that separated them and have them join BSV and it would just be phenomenal. You know, maybe, I, that's, I think, maybe that's your calling in life to be like a relationship counselor between <laughs> Craig Wright and Roger. <laughs> I think we, we've all sort of said a similar thought before, uh, at least, uh, at least kind of in, in our conversations, which is like a, a, it's a bearish sign if the community is attacking Roger too much. Yeah. And I, ironically enough, you, you see it both in BCH right now and BSV um, for different reasons. Um, I actually think in some ways BSV is actually more friendly to Roger right now. I mean, well, now BCH loves Roger, but I have seen some of these frustrating criticisms over the funding. I mean, that, 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 other, that thing the other day over the um, millions of dollars that Bitcoin.com has put into funding development. And that being like a, a point of controversy. Well, yeah. the money didn't actually, you know, sacre bleu didn't end up in my bank account. Like <laughs> that's, us, that wasn't earmarked the right way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's so, so insane. Um, like, can you, can you just feel like how much of a turnoff that is? Like, you guys are all entrepreneurial. You've all been a part of starting businesses or freelancing or whatever if somebody that's working on a project with you or that you might want to work for you or with you or invest or whatever is just like, okay, what do you mean? You actually show me what you did. Well, I don't think you spent that right. I don't think you spent like, you're just walking away from that attitude. You're like, get out of here. You don't know how to do yeah. business. You don't know how to build anything. Like I just couldn't believe all that nitpicking. It made me, it just made me want yeah. to throw up. I yeah, felt and, like, yeah, it was just stupid. And at the end of the day, it was like, it was earmarked in a way that the, the BCH devs in question thought wasn't appropriate. It was like, Roger, you know, looking at the bottom dollar has spent millions of dollars and infrastructure. It's like, well, technically it wasn't it, like one of the yeah. arguments was. <laughs> I would have been like, cool, spend, I'll, I'll pay you 30 grand a year to be my new the, bookkeeper then. Yeah. They, they, they go, well, spending money on the hash war wasn't funding development directly. But it's like, wait, hey, think, think about this for a second. If if Roger didn't spend, I don't know how, what, what a million dollars, what it was. It was like it a was. million dollars on the record. <laughs> dollars on crazy. the hash war. The, the, the other implementations effectively wouldn't exist or they would be subsumed by in-chain and BSV. So it doesn't, like, it's definitely effectively funding both Bitcoin ABC and development and the coin in general. It's just not technically it's marked like, in oh, a I, way. I don't like, like, I don't agree with the mental category you as a business yeah, exactly. what you're spending into. You know? Exactly. And, 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 let's, and then, let's talk about and, developer and funds. Preposterous. Oh, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, like he, and like he mentioned, Roger mentioned in the thread too, that doesn't even count the countless hours that his employees have worked on various things for you know ABC as well. Like that, that stuff's not even factored in. The opportunity cost and the energy and the money that goes into that is not even taken into account. So um, yeah, exactly. The opportunity cost being maybe most even no, most notable among them if there's friction between the different development groups. I mean, it's like literally the guy transformed Bitcoin.com into the 100% BCH is the version of Bitcoin I care about. We're putting everything in our business and my personal reputation on that. Everything along with it suffered tremendously from it, uh, reputationally and economically. And for somebody in BCH to be like, oh, I don't think this guy's committed. It just seems absolutely (laughs) stupid. So let's talk about, I just saw one of you guys shared a, a proposal for funding development in BCH, which seems to be the only one of the three Bitcoin forks that is constantly having complete development is funded. Um, and I don't know if it's because Blockstream just got a bunch of VC and they don't care and SV is funded by Enchain or what, but there's always, there's always things stirring and people arguing in BCH about development funding. And somebody just proposed that miners like basically allocate a percentage of the, the reward to fund ongoing development. Um, and this has been met with arguments as well. T- tell me about this and tell me what you think the future of BCH dev funding is. Because this, this argument between the protocol developers and everybody else in BCH seems to me to be one of the biggest vulnerabilities. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that one. Um, this is just how hot off the presses, right? I think this was this morning. This morning um, this, yeah. yeah, this was released. I think it's potentially a, a pretty big deal. From my understanding, it's, miners a majority hash rate or maybe it's not actually technically majority hash rate we need to double check that because it's actually a big piece of the puzzle here but let's say the idea would be majority hash rate gets together and says hey um, you know 12 and a half percent of the block reward is going to be allocated to this particular fund and this fund is going to be um, to pay protocol devs to work on uh, cool things. I think Avalanche specifically was mentioned as something they worked on with the money. And the the back of the envelope calculation was something like $6 million over the next six months, something like that. Um, so there's a few ideas I have on that. First of all, whenever majority hash gets together and acts, it's a big deal because uh, a lot of people still in BCH underestimate the role of miners greatly. And they have misinterpreted some inaction and laziness on the part of miners. Um, and they've, they've taken it theoretical and they think, oh, because miners failed to act in this circumstance now, in general, as a principle, the way the system works is miners don't have this essential governing role of the network. And I think that's a mistake. I think the, the failure of minor governance was actually very concrete. Um, the specific people at specific times, places making specific decisions that were bad and failed rather than... As, as some principle that miners don't actually fundamentally control the the development of the network. So I think in that respect, it's automatically big news whenever you have majority miners making this decision. But the, one of the interesting parts of this, which I really got to have to think through, is they're saying that they're going to orphan the blocks of any BCH miner that doesn't fund, um, that doesn't put a 12.5% of their block award to this fund. <clears throat> Is this just a proposal or is this like it, it seems like it agreed. was it seems like it's it was agreed from the way the article was written um, it sounds risky it, it does sound risky especially if you don't have majority hash rate because if you don't have majority hash rate you can fork yourself off the network you think you're orphaning blocks but you're you're literally just forking yourself because majority hash can have blocks that you don't um, 
but also it's, it's, I saw somebody uh, uh, use this terminology. I think this is probably the right, right way to think about it. It's like a minor activated soft fork. You know, back, back with the split in, I don't know, 2016, 2017, there was a user-activated soft fork with a thread of that, and it's nonsense. We don't have to go into the technical details. But this is like a minor-activated soft fork that essentially forces the hand of the rest of the miners, even though it's not technically like a protocol change. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very big deal. It's, it's miners throwing their weight around, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes of it. You, I'm optimistic. Do you, do you take it as a bullish sign that miners are like, hey, we want- I do the protocol stuff to be kept, you know, maintained faster development, et cetera. So I'm optimistic. Uh, I think it could be a really good sign for me. The devil's in the details and it matters how they implement it. If it's just a slush fund, it's like, Hey devs, here's $6 million. You work on what you want to work on. I don't think that's a good idea at all. But if they actually have oversight and say, hey, we now have $6 million, fix this, fix the damn unconfirmed transaction limit, fix the, you know, let's actually get concrete stuff on Avalanche. And if you don't, you, get, you don't get money. If they actually treat the funds with, as if they're employing people, then I think it could be a really good sign, really cool idea. I, you know, I didn't read the the full article. It was just texted uh, before, right before we jumped on here. But one of the screenshots, uh, one of you guys texted. It said something like, "This is good because it incentivizes the devs as adoption increases and price increases. The amount of money that they get also increases, so they're incentivized to do things that help increase the value of the network as a whole." I like the attempt to incentivize rather than treat it as their own like pet science project that they just screw around with and they don't care about adoption. I like the the idea to incentivize developers to, you know, it's like a profit sharing arrangement or something. So they're thinking about what actually matters in the market. I'm not at all convinced given what we've seen historically that the price is the best current reflection of what's got a chance for valuable long-term user adoption because there's so much speculation and craziness going on. So I could see a scenario in which the price goes crazy and now these devs are just rich and then they're, they're less connected to the market because they're like, yeah, I'm getting all kinds of money and I'll just kind of screw around and I'm not really accountable. Um, they're not really, a, you know, it, it takes away that the discipline almost uh, and if you're, if you're succeeding, it's harder to see what you're doing wrong. Um, and so I can see like a big price run up creating some issues there. I don't know. I don't know any of the details, but I think the, the governance or accountability is, you know, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of extra money is not by itself a bullish sign. To me, from, from the early sounds of it, it sounds like it requires just too much goodwill and agreement among people in the BCH community. And that, that doesn't seem like a, a good setup to me, but I could, I don't know. Again, I don't know any of the details. So. Yeah. I, I tend to think that, uh, em employing devs individually as miners, uh, is a better approach. Um, I, I'm, I'm not in the mining business, but I, I tend to think that that would be a smarter play. Um, that seems to be kind of what, what BSV is doing. And I think that that makes a lot more sense than having devs sort of be these, this outside entity that all the miners go to with a pot of money and ask to do something. I mean, I guess that's better than, than what's happening now maybe but isn't uh, bitcoin unlimited like i've heard people say that they have all kinds of money they're really well funded uh, what is their structure they got a big donation a long time ago and have managed it well 
Yeah, they were financially really intelligent, which is why people attack them now. Um, <laughs> because, because that's basically the story of the crypto space. If you're intelligent and successful, you, you eventually get demonized. And so yeah. with Bitcoin Unlimited, they're attacked now for, for not having enough skin in the game because they didn't sell all of their BTC for BCH right away. And okay, they so, they're, so they're kind of in the situation that I just described where like they don't have a lot of pressure to like right. make sure that things are getting better because they got... I don't know how much money. I'm sure they have some burn rate that matters, but they've got a ton of money that yeah. you know doesn't make them afraid. Yeah, I think though, depending on how they structure it and oversee the funds, it could be akin to just individually funding developers. Right? I mean, if, if it has to be the if it's majority hash rate that set up the fund, they're going to have to have some universal agreement on what specific things they want to upgrade. I would imagine that they're, that they're going to be very specific in saying, hey, look, you are receiving these funds for this purpose. I mean, I, I just don't think they're going to be so foolish and throw money at You, you know, it'd be interesting. Here. It'd yeah. be interesting to take a, take a chapter out of a page out of uh, the world of sports and to create a payment system, a contract. So like different athletes will, will sign a, a deal that's like, okay, you get X amount per year, but if you make a hundred catches, uh, then you get an extra bonus. If you make the you know uh, all pro team, you get more. If you make the playoffs, and so you could say, hey, look, we're going to fund you to this tune. If by six months from now, yeah. um, it can handle X number of transactions per second, or if we have X number of users on the network, then you get up to a higher tier. And so you can create incentives based on the actual outcomes of the network that. Yeah. This problem gets solved if adoption goes up this much. You have an increased, you know, sort of tier of funding or something to that effect. Yeah, I, I see no reason why that's why that would be impossible. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of too early to talk too much about it because we'll we'll just have to see what happens. Um, there's not I haven't I don't think there's enough information in the article. It's kind of just new and there's not really much information about what developer groups it'll go to or how it's going to be allocated or yeah. what the metrics are going to be. I mean, there's 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 nothing at all. Um, I think you go to a floating island, you dump it in the middle of a cage, and you just let all the devs go in there and fight for it. <laughs> well, this is where, like, there is definitely still an anti-business sentiment in some strains of the BCH community. And they've said, I, I remember somebody was saying, you know, there was this brilliant quote where they said, you know, devs just don't want to be financed by non-techies. Like that was one of the issues that they had. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's a problem. That's for lots of reasons, that's a problem. And to the extent that this funding is going to be used so that devs with their own ideas can decide amongst themselves what the priorities are and what the problems are they're trying to solve, that's a problem. Yeah. But to, to the extent that direction is clear and it's not, and it's explicitly not, here's money for you to work on what you want to work on. It's here's money. So long as you're doing what we say, then, then yeah, I'm, I'm more bullish on it. Yeah. TK. I, I agree with that. Question about BCH governance. I know one of the, the main criticisms of, of, of core is that it's the Blockstream funded core development team. One of the criticisms of BSV is that, you know, it, it seems to be the case that, you know, Craig just tells everybody what to do and then they do it. Uh, we don't see any community infighting. With BCH, with some of the, the infighting that's taking place there, what, what's the governance uh, in BCH right now? Not, not, not what, what's it going to be, but what is it actually right now? Mm. I, I think um, 
I think a lot of the infighting actually is ultimately caused from one development group that has to be the it happens to be the most important development group right now from the perspective of miners, which is Bitcoin ABC. Um, and it's somewhat hierarchical. And there's a lot of the BCH uh, dev community that is arguing for it to be hierarchical. They want uh, Bitcoin ABC, uh, the implementation to be like the lead main implementation, not the only one, but the one that we all follow. I think that's- Would miners just <laughs> stop running that implementation today and then they would lose that influence or how would that work? Yeah, so this is one of the problems that I'm optimistic might be solved in 2020 because it's a really big one. Um, <clears throat> so miners could, well, they can run any implementation they want, but they always run a risk. If they're running, let's say 95% of the network is running Bitcoin EBC, 5% of the network is running, let's say Bitcoin Unlimited. <clears throat> There's always a risk because of the differences in how the node implementations are structured that they're going to be building a block that's seen as invalid to the rest of the network. So it might be a block that Bitcoin Unlimited views as valid, but since the rest of the network doesn't, uh, they lose money. <clears throat> they, they, the block doesn't get uh, accepted into the blockchain. So there's a huge um, cost and risk for miners to switch among implementations. So even if Bitcoin ABC might be failing in some regards, and I think in some regards it is, um, the costs are too, the coordination is, uh, costs are too great for all the miners to just switch over and say, okay, now we're going to use this. I'm optimistic that there could be some things coming down the pipeline that would re significantly reduce the risk to miners of running multiple implementations at the same time and having like a guarantee that the blocks that they're building are going to be seen as valid in the rest of the network. So right now in practice to answer your t question, TK, I think the, you know, if I have to take a, take a snapshot of the picture of how governance is right now, it's there's a, a de facto disproportionate influence that Bitcoin ABC has and therefore Amri Sachet has because of the high costs that miners are incurring for uh, switching node implementations. So because Bitcoin ABC has this influence and they have financial problems for whatever reason, despite them refusing funding on multiple occasions, um, that's what's causing a lot of the infighting. If we solved that particular problem, then I actually don't think there would be much infighting almost at all. Um, let's, let's talk about, Steve, I know you're pretty bullish on Kim.com, the kind of wild and crazy, interesting character. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the best things about crypto. It's full of characters like this. Yeah. Um, who's got, who's had a lot of, you know, built a lot of massive user bases for various things over the years. Um, although it seems like he's in some legal trouble or something. I'm not sure of the details, but the, he, he basically came out and, and he's been more or less associated with BTC from my mm -hmm. understanding. Uh, he came out and was like, hey, all the coolest stuff is happening on BCH and I'm going to help them bring a billion users or something like that. Um, talk to me more about this and that why, why that's a pretty exciting thing. So there's a, there's a few interesting points here. Um, somebody's microphone is buzzing. I'm not exactly sure. It could be mine. Was mine. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, there, there's this video that came out of Kim.com playing poker with people like Tone Bays and some other silly Bitcoin maximalist. And he said, look, I mean, you got to admit the, uh, there are good ideas coming. Specifically, he talked with Roger Veer and said, well, they're focusing on security and privacy and mass adoption. You know, if you just look at it, unfortunately, he said, the development isn't happening on BTC, the exciting development. <clears throat> so I think this is a big deal for a few reasons. One, it's possible that he's actually building something on BCH, which would be amazing. I don't know if he is. He might you know, really, I think he was going to release his own 
uh, token, um, but it was kiboshed for some reason. So maybe he's going to build it on BCH. I don't know. Um, if, if that's the case, that is a, a win of epic proportion because this is a guy that already has the experience of, I think he said something like a billion people have in one way or another touched his websites over the years. Just huge success. Um, the, the other reason I think this is important is it's yet another demonstration that it's the big players ultimately that matter way more than kind of the small, the smaller players. So that, that connection that apparently Roger has with Kim, in my mind, is worth more than like 99% of everybody else and everything else that they're doing. So, and, and notably, Kim, Kim.com, who, if you listen to what he said, he said, you have to focus on real world adoption. He, uh, he didn't say, oh, I was in the, the technical communities of BCH and I see that they are working on some nice mathematics and like, wow, I'm very excited from a technical standpoint. He didn't say that. He said, I spoke with Roger Veer about adoption in the real world. And I'm excited that about BCH. BCH had like uh, 15,000 white papers and 1,000 uh, <laughs> yeah. patents. Yeah. He said, uh, Roger Veer, he was impressed by Roger because of the wheelbarrow full of diplomas. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think that's yeah, it's another demonstration of like a couple of conversations ago. You know, my argument was and still remains I think the big players matter a lot and I see more possibility on BCH or more momentum in BCH than BSV. This is one of those things I had no idea this was happening behind the scenes, but maybe Kim.com could be recruited. And then that as a principle, who knows how, other, how many other huge names with huge influence might also be intrigued right now by, by BCH. That, that is one of the things that you know the BSV claim of we're going after big enterprises and all that stuff is very attractive. But when you step back and ask yourself, if you got a project that you want to see adopted by some big enterprise, who are you more excited about walking into that boardroom and trying to convince them? Like Roger Ver or Craig Wright, Calvin, maybe it's, maybe it's Jimmy. Um, you know, it's hard to know. Maybe there's somebody we don't know behind the scenes, but. And how many people are doing their due diligence behind the scenes and trying to figure out the technical merits of BCH versus BSP versus how many people are going to see, oh, Kim.com is now building on BCH. Therefore, it's a legit project and that's what we're going to use. Yeah, I, th- I think the developers tend to underestimate or overestimate the, oh, well, our, our tech is a little bit better. We're, we're slightly more efficient. Right. I don't think that that actually matters as much. I mean, there's diminishing returns on it. Obviously, you need to be efficient, but oh, there's, there, there is an over-optimization fallacy where you're sitting around tinkering too much. I mean, one example that gets brought up a lot is like, um, oh, saying people who are not technical telling developers what to do is like, you know, a CEO telling the plane to fly without wings. And I'm like, well, no, that's not the case at all. I mean, what's, what really feels like is going on sometimes is the plane flies fine, you just want to add a couple little like nuts exactly. and bolts to it, you know? <laughs> well, and I think, I think the relevant dichotomy isn't so much technical or non-technical. If you think about the startup world, it's like there are people who are founder, CEO, DNA, and those who aren't. And some of those are technical and some of those aren't technical. Um, and they're technical in various ways, but they have something that's more important than whether or not they're technical it's, you know, some tiny percent of all the coders out in Silicon Valley have the founder DNA, right? And, and then there's a whole other group of founders that are not technical either. And it's, it's a different continuum 
And if you're looking at, you know, a project and, and, and backing it, having something, and again, we're not, Bitcoin isn't an individual single business, but to have advocates who are invested in making it succeed, I think it's more important that they have that DNA than whether or not they're technical, you know? Yeah. And I see BTC as kind of the uh, most extreme case of the technically led project. Like if you watch how the development happened and how the development was captured and taken over, it was these, these neckbeards like Greg Maxwell, who I'm sure have mathematical skill and coding and, and technical skill that, are, that know how to impress their mathematically inclined peers. And in my opinion, they, they did something which it only, it, it, only governments or academics the academic mind could do, which is to take a world-changing technology that could trivially scale and be just the most amazing tech, you know, monetary invention in thousands of years, and they broke it. They look at it and they freak out over the, all the little inefficiencies that they see, and they want right. to just yeah. freeze everything and exactly. focus on so You've got uh, like Luke Deshier now, who was yeah. the guy who helped SegWit actually go through uh, with a soft fork. Um, he's now saying, don't use SegWit. It's making the blocks too big. You know, <laughs> and watching these like these freakouts of these over-technical yeah. minds who are like right. terrified of the real world. Yeah, yeah I, agree. I agree. Um, it, it, it's, it really is almost like, um, like a, you reach levels of absurdity. And I see the same thing yeah. in academia because a lot of my research is, is shoveling through the bullshit that academics put out and trying to you know, discover gems when I can find them. And that's something you see like in logic, for example. It takes uh, a professor at Oxford, Grand Priest, to argue that there are logical contradictions. Like you, you can only get to that level of stupidity when you have reached uh, an insularity from the world and like an extreme degree. And I just see that as um, BTC and a little bit in Ethereum too. Like well, Ethereum. I was going to bring up Ethereum because that's yeah. an interesting case that on the one hand, Ethereum has a lot of attractive qualities about sort of the community. There's a little bit less, they seem a little bit more relaxed about not having that maxi attitude um, and a little bit more, of a tinkerer attitude, like let's just play around and see what we yeah. can do. And I know that in, in Silicon Valley, the sort of venture capital tech sort of world is disproportionately interested in Ethereum because Vitalik is like one of them. He kind yeah. of talks and acts the way that a lot of the, the technical foundry type guys have and is very much a let's do thought experiments and let's play around and let's yeah. get this out in the wild and it's not perfect but like let's play around with it so there's something there that i really like um but go ahead i don't i don't remember yeah. where i was going with that i no, lost I, I think that's a fair point but it, it, it makes it makes sense that ethereum is going to draw a lot of those types because i think it is kind of a science project i mean what is the goal of the ethereum network it's, it's, it's kind of a mushier question. Well, smart contracts. Well, that's very abstract. Smart contracts to do what in the world? Yeah. So big, that, that's fine. I mean, I definitely dig the speculation thing. I'm a big fan of that. And the theoretical speculation too, I, I enjoy. But when, the, when you have a goal of let's be digital cash for the world, then you don't necessarily want just the, the speculation on smart contracts and stuff. So, so it kind of reminds me of a startup that's like, hey, look at, we put together this team of all these really cool technical people and we're playing around with some really cool tech. And, but there's not a clear business model. 
Like, okay, what's the business model? What are you doing with the tech? What's the goal that you're trying to hit by what timeline? Um, okay. And that's unclear, but it's like a really fun group yeah. of technical people. Smart contracts are, the, are an excellent example of this. They're really cool technology. They're complex, intricate, beautiful, amazing mathematics. They're, they're, they, they will impact the world in some way, but how, how big a way? I mean, it, it's not clear to me, like Ethereum has a, a bunch of uh, hype around it, but in terms of at the end of the day, where is, how much value is being concretely created in the world because of complex smart contracts? I don't think it's very much right now. When, excluding the, the token usage for Ethereum, where is the value creation? Would you guys agree that scalability is, is, is an even more fundamental problem? That according to their own admission, Ethereum as design simply does not scale. And, and, and it, it does not seem to be the case that shifting over to a proof of stake model is going to solve those scalability problems. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. That's my position. For, from an outside standpoint, not being super technical and not following Ethereum closely in the last year or two, especially, it definitely has the appearance of... Um, not a lot of confidence in scalability, or maybe they're just more honest than other chains and they don't pretend that they can scale more than they can. Um, but also like a lot of unknowns and instability at the protocol level. Like I feel like every time I hear about Ethereum, it's like some new thing is going to roll out. It may or may not work. It may have bugs. Like it's just, it's a lot more unstable and it and it makes the whole BSB, like lock the protocol in stone thing, right? Whether we already debated last time, whether that's even possible and what that means. But that whole approach is like the the opposite. It seems really attractive versus like, I just feel like Ethereum is too open-ended perhaps. But Steve, Derek, you probably know more about it than I do. Yeah, I don't trust it right now, but it, you know, it's, it looks interesting. I'm not, I'm not a maximal, I'm a maximalist in an economic sense, but I'm not like a moralist about it in the sense that I don't think they should try this stuff. I'm just not really paying that close attention to it right now because um, I'm much more interested in just digital cash right now than theoretical, you know, sort of smart contract applications. Uh, that stuff has never overexcited me, so I don't fuck it, uh, foc- uh, focus on it too much or follow it that much. Yeah, I don't have. I mean, I I have a, a small group of um, developers that I listen to and talk with when I really need to try to figure out some technical stuff, and they have said that. Ethereum definitely has scalability problems. It's kind of built into it. So I think that's a, I think that's a, um, I guess I'd put it this way. Ethereum is not going anywhere as a platform. I'm not sure if its current market cap, let's say, is justified because I think the, there's a lot of speculation that Ethereum might be like the next Bitcoin, except you can do more with it. Which, it, which if you can have Ethereum fill the role of digital cash, then yeah, it can be this incredibly valuable thing um, and price could go way, way up. But if there are fundamental scaling problems that prevent it from being digital cash, functional digital cash, then um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I think that's a big, a big well, issue. So here's what's funny. Uh, it seems like if you pay attention to just kind of like, I don't know, mainstream crypto world, even the advocates of BTC and even some of BCH would say the same thing about theirs. Oh yeah, well, it doesn't scale. There's fundamental scaling issues. Well, it's never gonna reach actual worldwide scale because it, you know, it can't, can't raise the blocks, whatever. BTC has certainly basically embraced that. Yeah, it doesn't scale. Uh, that's why we need to build something else on top of it. BCH uh, 
there's a little bit of that. Some parts of the community are kind of like, oh, yeah. of course, it won't ever fully scale. Um, and, and that's weird. So in that case, like if you're looking at it from a mainstream perspective, say you're new to crypto and you jump in, you're basically like, oh, there's all these experiments, but none of them scale, but they're all trying to figure out some new version that will eventually scale, which is where the like scale or die rhetoric uh, of BSV is very attractive. And of course, all those other things are like, you can't scale. You're just going to break everything. And it will break all the nodes and you guys are idiots. And it's like, well, maybe, but like trying to trying to fly to the moon might blow up a bunch of rockets and break a bunch of shit too. But I'm way more compelled about the person that's like, get to the moon or die than the person that's like, okay, we got to just really slowly get up to the ionosphere and then we're going to wait a couple years yeah. and, you know, 18 months and we're going to have some new technology that doesn't yet exist that will get mm-hmm. us to the moon, you know? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues that I that woke me up to some of the problems in Bitcoin Cash right now is, is you know, when, when they're talking about... Uh, making sure the small nodes can keep up um, and, and not scaling too quickly. You know, we're, we're the middle of the road scaling. We're not those crazies in BSV. Um, that stuff is, is concerning to me because I do think scaling is really important. I also think that that shows the over, uh, overestimation of some of the technical stuff uh, and, and fear of, of how things actually play out in the real world. Um, like BSV has already proven that larger blocks are possible. I mean, I think that's a sort of like, that's a, that's a non-issue now. Um, and yet there's still this fear of like someone getting kicked off the network. Oh no, we can't do that. We can't scale too fast because then someone's not going to be able to run a node. And that just seems uh, uh, naive to think that you're going to build a global economy based on Bitcoin cash that way. Yeah. Well, and we're 10 years in. And so the argument of like, well, of course, eventually, but we're so far from that. It's like, how far from that? Yeah. How far from caring about worldwide levels of scale are we? If you look at great startups, the Facebooks and the Amazons and whatever, you know, they hit a parabolic growth point at some point and like you're 10 years in for God's sake, how long do you push that down the road? Oh, well not now, but in 50 years. And what are the time scales? Have? Right. Yeah. Well, especially with the decreasing um, block reward. I, well, I want to I take the contrary position and say there is nothing wrong with having smaller ambitions. So if, if, if everybody was explicit in, in stating what their goals were, I think it would be helpful. So if BTC was like, look, we're not trying to be a world money. We're going to be bomb-proof uh, money that you have to be kind of technically savvy and we have all of these properties that are inherently inefficient. We're never going to get worldwide adoption. I'd be like, oh, they, they, could, they could just take the, the, the network completely uh, offline to prevent against solar flares and just like have a, you know, <laughs> sure. have like a, a, what are those old called? The, you know, little beads that you slide around on a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. an abacus, an uh, abacus so. in a vault somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you could actually hash that way. You, you could, well, anyway, so um, messages via yeah. you know Morse code over the Telegram. Well, by, by the way, Andreas Antonopoulos has a talk called "Money as a Content Type," where he doesn't take it that far with those jokes, but but he does make a case for for that kind of vision for BTC. Yeah. So yeah, bunker coin. I like that. <laughs> Monero kind of takes this approach, and I'm a I'm a fan of a lot of parts of Monero. I think it's got a unique use case of being a privacy coin. And they've essentially said, "Look, we have expensive transactions, and that's the way it is. And we're not trying to be world money. We're trying to be we're trying to be capture a more niche market, and 
people pay a few dollars for a transaction. That's the way things are. Cool. I, I dig that. But to pretend like you're trying to be global money and then you're worried about some of these um, scaling problems and the health of nodes, I think that's, that's actually the issue. Because like I've had conversations with some of these people, specifically in Bitcoin Cash, and they'll say, oh, well, we can't have these, these big blocks now because they'll break the nodes. I think, okay, well, hang on, hang on, bear with me for a second. So a few years down the road, on the, the roadmap that we've all agreed to, there are one gigabyte blocks. So if we're going to a state in which there are one gigabyte blocks, that means at some point we're going to be, uh, the network is going to be so constructed that these small nodes will not be able to function. So what's the problem then? Is, your, is, your, is, is the way that you're conceiving of things like, oh, we need a two-year time period where we have these really small nodes on the network, and then those nodes and businesses are just going to die out when nodes get big, uh, uh, blocks get big enough. Right. So I, I see that. I, I agree with you guys. I see that as a problem that uh, it's if if you have a clear goal that eventually we're going to gigabyte blocks, which means you're only going to have businesses essentially that are running nodes, then it's OK if we are there now, essentially. Yeah, it's know. an interesting uh, an interesting parallel there, I think, is Apple because they're in a similar situation where they have a lot of users with a fixed piece of hardware that they've invested money in and they probably can't afford to upgrade in their phones, in their pockets. And they will do things like an iOS upgrade with new features that only works on the newer version of the phone, or even an upgrade where, hey, we no longer sell corded headphones. And you know, you don't want to go so far that you alienate everybody, but they're willing to say, look, we're valuable enough that we know we can push out this new iOS and all the old phones are going to suffer a little bit because of it. And uh, that's okay because they're not our current customer focus. We're trying to grow. We're trying to go into the future. Um, and yeah, just a, fe- a fear of that, I think, is a bit, a bit disconcerting, especially I, in this early phase. It's so early still. Know, You're trying to worry about like hobbyist level shit. I, I, if I'm being honest, I think that there are several somewhat prominent devs in BCH who don't like the idea of getting to gigabyte blocks. I just yeah, think that's think so the too. fact of the matter. I think it was a compromise. It was a, it was a decision to have that roadmap a long time ago, um, a couple of years ago. And then now gigabyte blocks are seen as, oh, that's the BSV stuff. And I think they actually, some non-zero amount of them are like, well, we don't need that anymore. We didn't really believe that. We're going for, you know, 32 meg to 100 meg blocks. Um, so so Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. very worrying. It worries me too. Yeah, that's the most bearish thing on on BCH to me. TK, I want to ask you with Steve's. I love Steve's point about because I can relate to it very much with uh, <laughs> with startups of niching down and saying, "Look, we're going to own this." Whether that's all you ever are, or whether that's your initial entry point into the market, it's a clear, defined niche that you can absolutely dominate. And then, if you want to expand later, fine. Um, in a world where maybe there's a lot more coins that are niching down, do you see the BSV approach as being like a startup that's like, hey, we're going to build a platform that literally does everything from day one. And it's like, well, okay, your odds of succeeding at that are really low because you're trying to do too much. Pick one really tiny, tiny niche and go win that. Do you feel like trying to be every, we're all data storage, we're all universal cash, we're, we're apps consumer facing, we're enterprise, we're everything, don't worry, it can literally do everything and everything that you think that it can't do, I've already patented anyway, 
you know, like, does that worry you? Is it, is it too big of a vision that means you're not going to be focused enough to win one niche with total domination? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think when, when you hear um, people in BSV say uh, the, the Bitcoin, like everything can be done on Bitcoin, that, that's, not, that's not necessarily like the statement of a, of a business model, but, 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 it, but it's, it's the clearing away of, of the very misconception that gave rise to the altcoin uh, market, right? I mean, so this idea that we need Ethereum to be a world computer in order to do on-chain application development is based on the assumption that we can't scale Bitcoin. And so I, I think it is very important to say it can all be done on Bitcoin. And that's the foundation for getting to the niche stuff, because the way you set up the platform is you make it possible for people in the marketplace to compete with each other and determine what the best niche is. So you don't have Calvin or Craig saying, hey, the area that we want to niche down and succeed in is, you know, weather data or the area we want to niche down and succeed in is this or that. You create the space where people can come on, they can develop businesses on chain, you can incentivize them to do so economically, and they can compete with each other and you allow the market to decide. So I, I, I don't think BSV is just sort of taking an approach of let's just try to do anything. It's let's make everything possible and the market will determine what works. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that. I, I, I generally agree. And it comes down to the actual capacity of the platform because it's probably the case that the startups, when they bite off more than they can chew, it's, it's, you could kind of think of it as for technical reasons or like logistical reasons, you actually can't do it. You don't have the resources to do all of that. It doesn't work. But if the, if Bitcoin it's actually- Product market fit is usually the bigger reason, to be honest. Yeah, well, okay. Well, um, if- if the actual underlying platform can do all of these things, then yeah, I think uh, I, I think that is um, I think that is at, at the very least good marketing for BSV. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to uh, see anyone discouraging like u- particular use cases right now, you know. And and I, I think it's I think it's smart to allow people to try to figure out what's going to be efficient and what's not going to be efficient. And this um, is where the analogy between a company and a protocol probably breaks down because there's a there's a an old saying. I think it was uh, Bill Campbell who's like the godfather of all startup VC stuff. Just brilliant. He said, if you have more than one value prop, you don't have a value prop. And I think when you're trying to create a new company, especially a consumer facing company or whatever, um, that's absolutely true. Uh, But a protocol maybe is different, right? Like, Mm -hmm. hey, here's this new protocol and all kinds of people can build on top of it. Like this open network idea where it's like, hey, here you go. Uh, Now go ahead and play with it and experiment with it. You know, that the analogy breaks down to a degree, um, but there is still something to it. There is still something to like, okay, what is this thing? What can it do for me? And if the answer is everything, then the answer is, I don't know how to make it sound valuable to you, you know? Well, the answer doesn't, I mean, with, with Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, I mean, I think the answer for most people in the beginning is just going to be, uh, you know, investment or, or I guess just digital cash. You can use it as cash. I mean, that's the foundation. And now what you can do besides that is I don't think anybody necessarily even needs to know all of that. I think that's the beauty of a, of a, a market is that I don't really care what other people are doing and I don't want to even know. I only want to know about the things that are valuable to me and the people that I'm trading with. And I, I see Bitcoin as a market, as an economy, not a, uh, and, and so that, that's how I tend to analogize it. Yeah. And so when I'm thinking about that at scale is I, I, 
I don't want to have to care or think about any of that stuff. I just want to, I want people to do what they want to do with it. Um, and that's why I like BSV's approach. And I liked, I like Bitcoin Cash's approach just to, to, to some extent less because I see, well, the, I see the a idea lot of that, that mindset. The idea that you as a part of the community or a supporter of it to increase its value have to go around policing people and telling them not to yeah. do spammy things. Mm-hmm. Like that seems like a terrible design. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it can never work, I think, at scale. So I think the only way we're going to see if this can actually work is if we allow it to actually function as a market. And um, uh, for me, like I like the digital cash use because I like other use cases that are, I'm seeing built on, on Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. I think the SLP tokens and the dividend stuff is, is pretty neat. Like the ability to do uh, private uh, bearer shares around the world yeah. is, is a pretty cool function. Um, and Bitcoin.com just released the uh, Mint tool where anyone basically can create an SLP token um, very easily. It's a great you know interface. And then you can issue them and then you can actually you know issue dividends and stuff like that to those token holders. So it's a pretty cool model. And I think that alone is far more useful than any of the Ethereum ICOs we saw. It's yeah. like instantly more useful than Ethereum ICOs and has a stronger value proposition and is like immediately less scammy. Is there anything comparable in BSV right now to SLP tokens? Well, they have a, a, what's, a token. What's a tokenized? Token, tokenized, tokenized. Tokenized, but theirs is... Um, Again, it's taking the approach of, I think, uh, KYC compliance, legal compliance with mm. um, the issuing of, uh, of securities and stuff like that. And that was something I was asking you guys the other day. I don't think we came to an answer. Like, you know, I, I was thinking about issuing some kind of token for my, my blog. Uh, which, by the way, way, since our last video, you started breaking Satoshi, which is yeah. a phenomenal blog and newsletter. Thank you. Uh, so I wanted to do that, something like that, just to play around with it at least, just to, to see what, what the possibilities were. Because I could see like a content creator issuing a token, raising some funds to basically like fund their content creation until they get to a point where they're profitable on their own. Like, like let's say like I start a blog, I, uh, I, yeah. I issue a hundred tokens. <laughs> I did. Then I say, if I have, yeah. a, I have a and Patreon. Then I get, and then I get to, to get a little bit of a dividend from what yeah, you make. Yeah, exactly, from love- investing. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, dude, Tarek, Derek, I love that idea. I was just thinking the other day um, about um, music. Yeah. So uh, if you find a band, uh, this is interesting. This actually answers a question I was I was pondering just yesterday. I was thinking, okay, so you stumble across a band that you think, oh, this is going places. This just has the sound. I know this is going to blow I up. Invest in the band. I was thinking, how do you invest? How do you go to that person and be like, oh, can yeah. I give you money and then you give me money later when you're successful? Like, can we come up with an arrangement? That's the, that is the yeah. way to do it. And so like, like I was thinking about doing that for myself, but I was worried about, okay. You worried you'll oh, end oh, up in a Thai prison. Yeah, uh, getting, getting <laughs> bent, bent over in Thai jail. Like, like, okay, on the one hand, I'm very much, very pro-liberty, very, very much like against a lot of the stuff that the SEC does, you know, um, and I want to see a lot of this stuff far less regulated than it is. On the other hand, there's a world that we live in that is... On the like, other hand, I, you don't want to be the one that says, I'm willing to risk going to prison to break down. Yeah, so, so I want to figure out the, the way to do it. That, so I can see both approaches. On the one hand, the SLP sort of just, just create an SLP is awesome. It's very easy. And tokenized looks kind of complex. I'm looking at their website and it's like KYC and blah, 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 and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, where do I even get started you know, creating something like this? Because the regulatory environment sucks. Um, 
Now, another but you want to know if at the end of the year, all of a sudden you're reporting your taxes or something and somebody's like, what's this? You don't yeah. have some unforeseen. Yeah. Yeah. But SLP has a really cool uses. I mean, I was thinking the other day about college, you know, I and mean, we all don't like the way college funding is done or just college in general. But you could imagine, for example, like a young person raising funds with like an SLP token and people are like investing in that, that young person's success or something yeah. like that. So you know, is it, the- it, What's the like advantage a over a, a token versus like an ISA or like like even what you mentioned, Steve, of a band? You could do that now, correct? You'd probably just have to pay a lawyer a bunch of money to put together well, a, a token. Mean, a, a, bear, a, a bearer share like that means those things can be traded very yeah. easily. So yeah, I it's can instantly now, li- liquid. Like they can yeah. acquire value. So like if you invest in Derek's blog and, and it starts to generate, you know, a thousand dollars a year for a holder of one of those tokens, <laughs> so, now that so can these, be traded. These ISA platforms are starting to pop up. Uh, most of them are associated with you have to go to a particular coding school or something, and then you know, you don't pay anything and then they take a percentage of your income when you get hired, but then they're actually selling that agreement to a third party investor who's investing in a basket of people. Um, and to, to put that on a platform where it's more of an open market um, yeah. and anybody can do it and, and those have liquidity and I can buy and sell my shares yeah. and Derek. I mean, I, I, you can also, you could, you, if it's opened up to the market, it's like a really easy way to sell equity in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. for specific time periods. So it's like, yeah. hey, look, I'm raising a million dollars. The next $2 million I make is going to be pumped into, the, into my anonymous bearer no, I mean, shares. I, I love done. the idea yeah. of like, Brilliant. You, could, you could do anything. You could say, I'm going to sell you know, 5% of whatever I have when I die, you can have, or I'm going to sell 5% of my income during this five-year period or whatever. You, know, you got self-fractional shares of your house. Now, again, all these things are possible without blockchain at all. Yeah. They have a very big, high yeah. legal getting them set up cost and then the liquidity is very low. Well, yeah. And how do you distribute them? What do you, you and there's call no transparency in price. There's no market that's showing yeah. you the price of these things. But, yeah. but how, how do you trade these assets? It's like you, you tell your friend, Hey, you can invest in me, call my lawyer and get this token and keep it in your safe versus you issue a token yep. online. I mean, there like are a billion a few people times who, are, who are doing this right now who are like publicly traded <laughs> human beings, but yeah, so there's some interesting use cases. I, mean, I think it's really exciting, um, but you can you can do it on both. I think I just think the approaches are probably a bit different. And again, I, uh, is, is I'm very pro freedom, but I'm also practical about the reality that we live in. So I'm I'm always curious which approach is going to make more sense uh, long term. Yeah, you you could say one approach is more maybe innovation friendly, the other is more adoption friendly. On on the innovation side, the lower the barrier to entry, the more you can take risk without worrying about ending up in a Thai prison. But then on the adoption side, businesses are going to want to know they're participating in something that's legit and something that's not going to get them in trouble. That's kind of like the advantage of tokenized, but it, it'll be interesting to see how, how the market plays out. Hey, w- one cool thing, there was a Coindesk article um, that, that I saw right before we, we popped on today. And it's from the, uh, the World Economic Forum that just happened. And in the opening paragraph, there was, there was something pretty interesting based on what we just discussed, uh, where the number one use case of blockchain technology promoted by the government is data sharing. Uh, this was said by the CEO of a startup that I can't pronounce and Chinese government official. I won't even try to read the name. But the whole article is about that. They don't mention VSV because uh, obviously, you know, Coindesk is not about to position anything they say as if it supports VSV. But I think it's really interesting just talking about the idea of niching down and, and, and meeting needs that this is one of the things that came out of this world economic form that they value data storage on the blockchain. Yeah, I want to say one thing on that because uh, I was having some conversations with people I respect about this around the time of the BSV split. <clears throat> um, 
So the idea is, well, storing data inside the blockchain is economically inefficient, seriously economically efficient uh, and, and inefficient because you could do it on uh, IPFS, which is a, a really cool other protocol, um, really clever way to share information online. What I was trying to explain that uh, I don't think they understood and I don't think a lot of the dev types understand is that econo maximum economic efficiency here doesn't actually matter. Uh, it only relatively matters um, when you're talking about really significant, really, really significant costs. If there's a, a simple platform that governments can use to upload data to the blockchain, and even if they're paying a hundred times more than they otherwise could, if they independently set up their own IPFS node and then uh, they, they had a hash of that information and stored inside the blockchain and they have, they have to build some separate system to easily upload data to the blockchain, they're obviously going to choose the simple solution. Even if it's a hundred times more expensive, they're going to choose the simple solution and it has brand name recognition. Because if you say, oh, we're, you know, the data, our, our data, well, you know, blockchain. Like we're doing the blockchain thing. It's like the cloud. Like, you know, it, it sounds cool. Yeah, we're using cloud. Wow. Okay. That might, might not be the actual, you might not be using the cloud in the most efficient way and you might not actually need to be using the cloud. But in reality, because those platforms are there, they're easy to use, they're hyped. I could see that as being a very successful use case, data storage. Well, and by the way, I mean, this, this applies, I think, to security as well. I think if you overemphasize security, I mean, like, there are diminishing returns in terms of how much adoption you're going to get. Like people just want to know that their money is, is, is safe. And, and, and the, real, the real world, we're willing to assume small risks if we get uh, yeah. uh, simplicity, right? And so this is like, like the core argument of, of, of security at all costs, yeah. even if it's not usable, doesn't actually make sense. No, I mean, Whereas honestly, if I can make a small trade-off. You, you want a huge increase in the value to the user. Don't make it more secure, less likely to be stolen. Make it so that you can get insurance on it. Like I'd yeah. much rather, rather than like, okay, well, as long as I never forget my keys, no one can ever hack it. I don't care about that. I want to be like, okay, well, it's probably not going to get hacked. But if it does, can I call somebody up and be like, hey, yeah. will you refund me what I lost? Like, I'd rather have insurance of some kind than I would perfect high-tech security in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. I just had this conversation about PayMail because I, um, I think PayMail is a really cool idea on BSV. I wish we could steal it in BCH. Uh, I think the user experience is a lot easier when people, when regular users don't actually see Bitcoin addresses. They can use um, email addresses. And some of the responses I got, well, well it's, it's insecure. It's, you just have to trust <laughs> that money button's not going to take your money. That's fine. Okay, that's true. It's, so it is with Coinbase as well. Like yeah. one of the most important crypto companies ever, you have to trust that they don't steal your money. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, it's like, or Gmail. Gmail, I think it was a good platform for having people use email. And yet Gmail could run away with your emails. Yeah, but no, so it's like, what? look, we're talking about, you always have to trust somebody. I would rather trust the incentives of a business like Coinbase than trust my own brain to not lose my <laughs> well, 12 word seed but, phrase or something. But he, the, the answer is in the synthesis here. Okay. I'm going to be a, what a Hegelian. Um, <laughs> so, so there, the, the, the security focused people are right in insisting that we have the option yeah, it's an to not to to not use centralized services. It's amazing. Like actually, for me, the way I'm thinking about it, because it's partially political, I'm thinking 
the value prop of Bitcoin is so great and politically can cause uh, the world to be a freer place because you always have the option to hold your keys yourself. Nobody can take it from you. They can't confiscate it from you. You can, you can go through that, those extra steps to write down your seed phrase, phrase in six different places and send it. And it's, you can lock it down. You always have that option and you don't necessarily with other currencies. But at, you, it, best to have of both worlds. You have the option to lock it down, take your money out of the system and, and put it under your, your mattress. But also regular people have the, <laughs> don't have to do that. You're not forced into one way or the other. So, all right, what have we not hit on that you guys want to chat about before we wrap up? Uh, Peter Schiff, this book about Craig Wright that's supposedly coming out and preemptively banned. I don't know. What else? What, well, the Schiff stuff is kind of just related to what we're talking about. That's an easy one. I mean, it's just funny to watch people. Ha, 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 you idiots. You are so stupid. You lost your money. I mean, first, just from a marketing perspective, what does that signal to someone who's like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into crypto and there's like 3,000 people calling you an idiot because you lost money? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. But it's just, it's just a highlight, again, that uh, user experience is hard. People, a lot of people have lost money. This is not a new thing. And if you're looking at global adoption, um, you do want to make it easier for people to be able to use yeah, it. I mean, if this happened with PayPal or Venmo or some new, you know, well, high tech bank that came out, people would be like, I, this is, this is shit. I'm going to, you know, like it, yeah. it wouldn't stand, but everyone's just like, Oh no, you're the idiot. You know, you must yeah. have done something wrong. It's like, even if he did be like, Hey man, that's a big problem. We got to make this user experience better. I'm going to be a little conspiratorial. I, I'm not sure about Peter Schiff's, um, uh, goals here, right? He, uh, sometimes I listen to Peter Schiff talk and I'm like, eh, bro, you're kind of playing fast and loose when it comes to Bitcoin. And so he's, the fact that he owns Bitcoin and was like sitting on Bitcoin despite publicly shitting on it makes me a little skeptical. Like if he's well, trying to he make- He was given it by well, Voorhees. So, yeah, supposedly okay. Eric Voorhees said. Well, what's he, why is he accessing his wallet? Why didn't he just forget about it? Why, why, is, he, why is he looking at it? He's just checking the price? Well, I think and it was only was, like 50 bucks or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Eric it wasn't said like a lot it was 50 bucks. So it yeah. could have just been a thing where- uh, Maybe. He just got curious, know. was updating the app or something. I, yeah, I, why I, here? Yeah, it could, it could be both. I mean, uh, I think I, I could totally buy the conspiratorial angle. That but like, I don't even care. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because- he, he's, the, he's absolutely correct. Like, still correct. It's, it is scary to use as a consumer. It's terrifying. It, Especially yeah, when there's splits and seeing forks. seeing a 12-word well, seed phrase and notifications say, back up your wallet, back up your wallet. And then you click on it and it's like, store these series of 12 words somewhere that you won't lose and no one else will ever see. Don't store them on your phone. Don't take a screenshot. You're just like, what is this? This is terrifying. He's got a point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely in middle ground here because you could say the same thing about cash. It's like there are actually unspoken rules that we have about cash. Don't leave it out on the ground. It's like you're, teach, you're trying to teach somebody how to use a new type of money. You got to have some rules of the game that they have to follow. So well, I, I, I think there's a, there's a middle ground here where it's like the 12 word seed that might be, if you're going to be owning the keys yourself, uh, that might be a, a, a cost that people should be expected to pay. Just like if you're going to be walking around with a wallet full of cash. But, you but, this, is, but this is what you know? the problem is because, because nobody... People aren't out there saying, hey, if you are scared of having your money in a bank because you don't trust them, then you should use Bitcoin. And only that kind of person should use Bitcoin. If that were true, great. But if it's like, hey, everybody should get some Bitcoin or whatever, there already is established rules around anything that you set up 
that you have a login and a password for, there's a I forgot my password protocol. And everyone always knows that they have that fail safe. And you don't have it in Bitcoin. And that's That's a terrible user experience. But it's not true because this is where I'm a little conspiratorial. I think he was using blockchain.info, which does have a recover my wallet um, uh, feature. And they do it in a clever way, but they don't actually have your keys. They like kind of store your encrypted wallet and they have an identifier that you can get a copy of your encrypted wallet. So I know this because I've used the service before. You can actually request them to resend essentially the the code that you, you can access the wallet. So it might be possible that like he pulled it up. They had some, it had some weird corruption on his phone and all he had to do was contact blockchain.info and he gets a, a new copy of it and it's not a problem. Yeah, he I, might fact, not yeah. know, but then... But, but what do you think normal people think when they see him say, oh my gosh, I lost all this and everyone says, okay, yeah. boomer, you're an I idiot. agree. But <laughs> right? separate, it's versus, separate. versus if somebody tweets like, hey, I don't know how to use my Netflix account. Like we all know what that is like and we'll all I, make fun of them. But this is- I totally agree. Everybody well, doesn't feel comfortable with it. Two separate issues. I'm, I'm on your side, Peter. <laughs> I have no idea if you're making this up or not, but I don't. Well, I think well, the response to it is, is insane. Yeah. But the, the response to it is definitely insane. Yes, I totally agree with it. But the actual facts of the circumstance, I, uh, I don't think we have enough information to be like, oh, this is a demonstration that this, you know, the Bitcoin systems as they exist failed here. I'm not sure that that's the case. He might have been a little premature, uh, a little bit of theater going on with the actual issue. I mean, it, it is a scary thing. Like I had a bunch of my stuff in copay for a long time. And then I remember all of a sudden finding out, I, I saw it a month later and it was like, don't update to the newest version of copay because someone can steal all your stuff. There's a bug. That was and it's deal. like, yeah. you know, I, you know and I don't even like the idea that stuff is on a physical phone. And, you know, like I just, all, there's a lot of stuff that I think that's an opportunity. The market yeah. has massive opportunity there. Like become a third party that says, hey, we'll be your password. We'll be your seed phrase vault. And you pay us a $5 a month subscription and we can't access it personally, but you'll get your seed phrases from us if you ever need them, blah, 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 blah. Like there's yeah. a lot of opportunity there not to make fun of people. Yeah. When I, when I went through the process of splitting some or trying to get access to some additional BSV that was stuck in some addresses the other day, I mean, it was... <laughs> It was a real pain it's in the ass. I mean, it was a real, real nightmare. And I figured it out. I mean, because I'm, I'm already, you know, understand the software pretty well and I understand how it works. But I, I, I was imagining as I was going through it, my God, like if I could not explain this to someone in a very easy way. And basically the vast majority of people I know who own Bitcoin or who want to get into Bitcoin would have no clue what to do. And then I got stuck at one little point just because the derivation path on the wallet that I was using was slightly different and the derivation path on another one. And I had to go to all these different third-party tools. Like there's this tool um, by Ian Coleman, uh, I think it is, and you go and you can put your, uh, your uh, seed phrase in. And from that, with, a, with selecting some other stuff, you can derive the private keys um, to individual addresses. But it can give you up to like 10,000 different addresses. So then I'm like control Fing on the screen, going through like a, a, a list of 10,000 addresses to find the exact one. See, and and this is where both Kim.com on the, on the one side and the, a lot of the BSV stuff on the other side get me really excited. The idea of, look, at the ideal state, most of the time, most people interacting with this don't even know they're interacting with it. Yeah. They're using some utility that's valuable to them and they don't know or care that it's on the blockchain and they don't have right. to go look up GitHub commits in order to 
you know, do something. Yeah. All right. I what did that- we miss? We got a few more minutes left here. It, it, th- th- there was actually a cool moment where um, Connor Murray from uh, Bitcoin Beyond wrote an article on CoinGeek called Peter Schiff Expresses Mindless Rhetoric of BTC Backers. <laughs> Peter Schiff actually shouted it out, he shared it. And, uh, and he says, finally, a non-biased article, just about all the others accuse me of losing or forgetting my password or just staging the entire thing. And maybe not. maybe he'll be on Twitch soon. You might be on <laughs> Twitch soon, man. That's what I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, not only is he going to be on Twitch, but we're, we're going we're gonna to have a chess move for your uh, Kim.com. We're going to upload all of that So Raven episodes to the blockchain. Game over. That's a crime, TK. <laughs> yeah, TK, you'll go to You're going to go to Thai jail. All right, guys. Will will this talk to that so Raven? Will this Craig Wright book come out and be a big revelation and a big deal? (laughs) I don't know anything about it. No comment. Wait, Wait, are you guys afraid of getting sued? No comment of any kind. (laughs) So I I have two working. I'll talk about this book. I have two working theories. Um, One is that it's, it's purely a marketing publicity stunt on behalf of the publishers, the authors, whatever. But, you know, before, no one was really interested in this book or creating a lot of buzz apart from people in the BSV community. Calvin had been saying that it's going to vindicate Craig. Now, by pulling it, it creates all these conspiracy theories. And now BTC people are really interested in it. No doubt about it that if they release this book a month or two down the road, it's going to sell way more copies as a direct result of this controversy. No doubt about by, it. By the way, I went to Amazon I, this morning. I think it was still listed on Amazon for pre-order. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's, and if there's, I, I, I don't know what the policy is for removing stuff. How fast, it's, how fast it's that been happens. banned, but we'll still take your money for a pre-order. Yeah. Cause that <laughs> seems really dubious to me. I mean, but I guess, I don't know if they charge you right away or they charge you later, but I did see it was still on pre-order. So I, I could, I could buy the idea that it's some sort of a, some sort of marketing stunt. I mean, I'll buy the book and read it. I'm excited to read it. If it comes out, uh, oh, yeah, was, for sure. I was disappointed to see it public, uh, to see it taken down. If it actually is taken down just because, I don't know. I mean, it's the most like we. I think we've all expressed it's the most insane, wacky, zany thing. Um, Regardless of what the truth is, that's yeah. one of the most fascinating stories ever. Yeah, I, I completely reject the narrative, though, that it was pulled because of a fear of being sued by Craig Wright. I reject that because one, Craig Wright is adamantly against the Satoshi affair, even though I think that book makes him look good. He, he doesn't seem to like it. And there's no litigation issue there. Secondly, Calvin has been talking about this book and has been the main person pumping it up. And they've been very cooperative cooperative with them, working with them. So I, I don't think it's about that at all. I, I think there is something, uh, if it's not a marketing stunt, um, then there's something suspicious going on in the background. The TK, I got a question for you. So at the beginning, you were talking about how great it would be if we could unify the BCH and BCH, uh, BSV communities. I, I agree. I think that would be amazing. And there's no putting the chains back I, I together. I just agree it would be if we can get Roger <laughs> Well, yeah, okay. So that's kind of what the You just want about. Roger. You don't want anybody else. <laughs> I, I understand. Everybody else. <laughs> I understand. Uh, so we, Ben would not appreciate my use of we. Sorry. No. <laughs> uh, Read what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's the question. Um, the way I'm looking at it, I, I get to say that if, if BCH fails 
And Roger can't do what I think he's in the process of doing. And if he fails and, and cleaning up some of the mess that's currently in the Bitcoin Cash community, I'm okay saying, look, BSV is going to be the big block, big block Bitcoin that'll take over. And like, I don't, I have problems with the talk about confiscation and the antics around Craig Wright, but I still fundamentally BSV is probably the coin that has the best shot. Um, would you say the same thing about BCH? Like if, if in 2020 we don't see uh, big things happen in BSV and maybe we get that confiscation problem, there's a hard fork upgrade and there's some bug and there's a funny business, is there, is there some level of failure on BSV in which you think, okay, well, this project failed, now I'm going to go to the other big block Bitcoin BCH? Sure. So, you know, something that I, I think I might have said in that first conversation is that there's the Bitcoin battle where the different blockchains are fighting with each other to see who's going to be the last man standing. But then there's the battle against fiat, the battle with the broader world. Right. And I do believe that Bitcoin cash is superior to fiat. And I wake up every day and I work hard for fiat, even though I criticize all the flaws that it has. If you want to pay me in fiat currency, man, I'm not the type of dude to turn that down because of the arguments I can make against its inefficiencies, right? So if I wake up in a world where Bitcoin Cash is the kind of money that we have, I will not only accept it as payment for the services I offer, but I will consider myself to be richer as a result of it, even though I don't hold Bitcoin Cash, because if Bitcoin succeeds, that means there are people who are not even playing in the economic game right now that get to contribute to making all of our lives better. You know, so like the real wealth that comes from Bitcoin is not from holding. It comes from the, the, the economy as a whole being a richer place. So I've got no problem whatsoever. If BSV fails and it's dead and done and BCH is the winner, I have no problem with saying, hey, guys, I was totally wrong. I truly thought BSV would dominate the game. It looks like BCH won. All right, let's make that money in BCH. I don't think so, I'll be saying that, but hey, I, I'm willing to say it. What about specifically we'll put the time constraint on it? So we say at the end of 2020, it doesn't pan out the way that you're predicting this year. Or are you going to say, okay, now I'm more bullish? Or do you still think long-term BSV looks better? At the end of 2020, I'm going to say, read what I actually said. No. <laughs> <laughs> so so my, my, as I stated earlier, my prediction for 2020 is that I think we're going to see an increase, a steady increase in transaction volume on BSV. We're gonna see a steady increase in on-chain application development, and we're gonna see an increase in, in hash power. I expect to see those things by the end of 2020. And if BSV moves backwards in 2020, let's say it's not destroyed, but it moves backwards or seems to stall, um, that would be concerning. I, I guess like with any concern in life, I have to kind of know what the reasons are mm. in order for me to know what my reaction will be. It's kind of like telling me if, if I walk into my home and a pair of shoes are stolen. I'm concerned no matter what, but there's an explanation for that that makes me fear for my life. And there's an explanation for that that makes me not so paranoid. I just need to change the locks. So I'd like to see what the reasons are, but I'd be definitely concerned about BSV if, it, if those predictions don't turn true. I fully expect those things to happen in 2020. Hey, TK, um, you are holding one BCH. Remember, I set aside a wallet for you. For That's right. If, if BCH <laughs> oh, wins. Derek has tainted you now. You're impure, man. <laughs> I've no, got no, one. It's, it's basically in a trust. Yeah, so, it's in a trust that you'll get. Well, you, you have the private keys. Only if I die, 
and they'll be delivered via a uh, die mysterious death. And, and only the public addresses. <laughs> well, fortunately, well, I don't know. Um, See, okay. so regarding the public Peter address, Schiff let us know that you won't be able to access it even if you do everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to break. Uh, regarding the, uh, the question, public, I don't want to seem like I'm running from anything. Yeah, no, I think that's a good answer. Public addresses thing, you know, I saw a lot of people laughing about that saying, oh, like he only has the public addresses. And I, I have no idea. I mean, my, my answer to all of this stuff is like, I, I, I say, I think it's a totally legitimate thing to try, if you have them, to not want to reveal them in court. Oh, sure. Even if you've said you want to reveal them in court, like when it comes to brass tacks, it may be like, well, I don't really want to do that. So I, 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 I try not to laugh at any of the things that look like, oh, look at that, look at that, because I feel like I try to put myself in the shoes. Like it's very easy to laugh if you're not putting yourself in the shoes of someone yeah. who might have that fortune. Yeah. Um, or if even half the stuff Craig says is true about what happened in the early days of Bitcoin or, you know, the mystery and the, the, the potentially da- danger around that stuff, I tend to think, well, yeah, I might act crazy too or weird too. Yeah. So I always try to have like a rule of thumb on sort of things that you see going on in social media conversations, revelations, whatever, that whatever the easiest response is for my own reputation or peace of mind, I should pause that for a second and make sure that I don't have that response just because it's the easiest response. Mm. Like the easiest response is usually dangerous and can lead you astray. And like when it's easiest to say, ha ha, total joke, fraud, like hold up a second, let's just give it a minute. Uh, Doesn't mean everything has equal weight, but I think there's there's a danger in following what's easiest to do. Um, and you can sort of like start to lose the, the logic. Like if you step back and ask yourself, like, why would this person do this? Right. More questions than answers come up there. The the problem with this whole Craig Wright thing is there's literally no scenario that I've imagined that is really easy to believe. They're all difficult to believe, you know, him not being Satoshi, him being Satoshi, him being part of Satoshi. There's so many things that have happened that make every one of those a challenge to, to a simple story that I think you can't dismiss any of them out of hand. Well, I think it's dangerous to be invested in the idea that Craig is either Satoshi and is going to 100% move those coins. And I think it's dangerous to be invested in the idea that he's a fraud. I, I'm, I'm not personally like, like I'm not going to like necessarily feel this deep sense of satisfaction to see one outcome or another. I mean, I do think uh, the entertainment value and the shock value, and I always like the pro- I, I do prioritize that to someone of a of someone like him actually having created Bitcoin, like a very foul mouthed like Australian who's talking about throwing people in Thai prison and saying these things that are very like totally anathema to like the crypto anarchist philosophy that emerged around Bitcoin. Even if that's scary to me, I can acknowledge the the humor in that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess yeah, I'm not invested in one or the other. I, I'd like to see how it plays out. Um, right now, I, I'm just looking at things from an economic perspective and, and trying to, and how I evaluate like BSV, you know, not, not so much just uh, whether or not he has the keys or not. I mean, yeah, this is a, similar to when people were trying to predict Calvin's actions based on a $10 million swing either way. Um, like in the story in which Craig does have access to these keys, he, he might be presented with uh, the following option say a bunch of crazy things and be mocked online and uh and maybe lose a court case and maybe even spend a couple years in jail and inherit a million btc bch and bsv or like prove 
something and gain that reputation online and lose half of your, your Bitcoin fortune. But you've gained the respect of the online Twitter community. So, and then of course, <laughs> a, a million different options in between. But it seems to me that that is definitely a possible explanation for the crazy and erratic behavior is because if you're actually sitting on a gold mine, it's okay if people call you names and it's even okay if you lose a couple of court cases. We're gonna, you know what? We're going to have to do another video where all we talk about is conspiracy theories in the world of Bitcoin. Oh, so man, I wanted, I wanted to piggyback on that and say something about Craig as well. All right, go ahead. So let's, let's bring it home in the next couple minutes here. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on my lawyer present in all videos <laughs> we do about this discussion. Well, well you know, like in a competitive game, like you think about something like MMA, that there's great wisdom in misleading your opponent uh, about your true potential, right? You, you are in the best position to compete if your opponent underestimates you. Yeah. You don't want them to properly estimate you, but you want your true strengths to appear weaker than they actually are. Like that's how you win a, an MMA fight or a boxing match or whatever. And I think everyone just sort of supposes that if Craig has the keys, the smartest thing for him to do would be to sign or prove it. And then everyone who promises to believe him will just be nice about the whole thing and they'll believe him. That we should truly trust the purity of all of those who say, we promise to take you seriously if you use the Satoshi keys. And I think that's a very naive belief to have because anyone who's ever been on the winning side of an argument knows that being on the right position is not the same thing as being liked by people, right? People can say, all right, fine. Steve can, Steve can vouch for that. Yeah, I can sure. vouch for that. <laughs> it, it's very easy for people to say, fine, you've proven your point, but I hate you anyway, right? I want to punch you in the fight, fight, uh, face anyway. It doesn't mean that people are just going to be nice and play fair. I think that if Craig were to show his hand and move those coins or prove inconclusively that he does, it, that, that he does have them, I believe that it will be so, so easy for the BTC community to come together and in the name of the greater good, freeze the Satoshi wallet or, or do something that stops him from accessing or moving those coins. I don't think that's hard to believe at all. Well, there's no question I think there would be a move to do that. Yeah. And it'd be very easy to sell once Craig proves it, right? You can't sell that narrative right now. If you try it right now, you've, you've already doubled down too hard on the position that he's a fraud and you can't take him seriously. So you can't sell that right now because we don't know who Satoshi is. But if he does that, then you, all you gotta do is just say, this guy is clearly lied anyway. You know, why did it take so long for him to do it? If he was clearly a good person, he would have just been straight for it with us. Convince people to just conspire with that. The crypto community has already proven that it comes together faster over Craig Wright than anything else in the world. They can shut him down. I, I say Craig has nothing to gain if he has those keys by moving any coins right now. He's got to be very selective and strategic about how he does that. So one thing going in Craig's favor here um, that also Phil Wilson talks about in his story, which I find persuasive, is that people at a very high level <clears throat> actually operate differently than those at a, um, at a let's say, if, if you're talking about people operating at a 10, they operate very differently as those operating in a 7 and an 8. So people that are operating in a seven and an eight are looking for the prestige of their peers. They, they view like uh, there's a million parallels in academia here um, in a million different areas of thought, but let's take mathematics because that's the one I always like to talk about. Uh, mathematicians are very interested in impressing other mathematicians, their peers. There's like a social hierarchy 
and 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 their their psychology gains a lot of fulfillment by working their way up that very insular social hierarchy. You see in the martial arts, you see it everywhere. That's the phenomenon. However, when you get to top levels, people have enough knowledge to realize that people in that social hierarchy are generally a bunch of idiots that have no idea about what they're talking about. They don't even understand the fundamentals of their own domain in general, true in philosophy, multiple areas of thought. And it's, I think the same thing probably in Bitcoin. This is like in Phil's story, there's a little bit where he talks about how, you know, the, the cryptographers had already kind of concluded that Bitcoin was effectively impossible. And so when, when Bitcoin comes out or, you know, uh, decentralized. Uh, Do you want to be liked by the experts in cryptography? You publish a paper saying why it's impossible. Right? Exactly. And you want to be liked and, and, by the Royal Society? You publish a paper that manned flight is not possible. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and Phil like talks about this and strategically how to try to overcome this uh, social bias because he needed some of the work, the technical work maybe, and the, the uh, enthusiasm of the cryptography community but how do you get them to take seriously an idea that kind of would imply that all these cryptographers and mathematicians are doofuses that can't solve problems that this other person can solve? So this might be the story that could be playing out with Craig Wright as well, is when he is evaluating the cryptocurrency community, he's like, I don't, actually don't give a shit about their opinion because they don't understand anything. I'm actually the one who understands what's going on, and I have a million Bitcoin. And so that could be a possible explanation for all this behavior. It's harder, that, yeah. it's harder to take that explanation because of how often Craig has appeared very desperate to let you know how many degrees he has. Or I agree. Like, like there's a part of him that seems desperate to be approved <laughs> by like the, the status quo, the experts, uh, you know. And, and then there's this other part of him that's like, I don't care what all of you think of me. And it's yeah. hard to tell what's I, I going on. I know. If he so, was consistent, this is one of the reasons I like Phil's story. If Phil is damn consistent and has not wavered, Phil, Phil Wilson, this story. Phil's story makes a lot of sense yeah, on a lot he, of things. He's like, I, I don't, he's not looking for prestige. He's not looking for respect. He might not even be looking for money or anything like that. He's just putting the ideas out there. Versus Craig, some, he gets some flavor of that, especially in the early 2015 days or so when he was coming out. It was like, oh, this dude who is speaking as if, he has enough knowledge to disregard the bad opinions of experts, but then he starts with the wheelbarrow of degrees and diplomas, and it's like, oh, maybe he's actually just trying to win the prestige game. Okay, wait, so I, I don't see any consistency. Here's why. So, so first, <laughs> so, so first I'll, I'll use another sports analogy. Babe Ruth, you all remember the infamous story about how he points out to center field, right, and then he hits a home run. You wouldn't talk about that story if he just hits the it home was right run. field. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, if he just <laughs> hits the home run, that's not so interesting. What's interesting is that he called it before, beforehand, right? There's something about talking smack and saying, you know, like, like when Larry Bird is being guarded by Chuck Person, he says, I'm going to go to that corner. I'm going to shoot the three and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And then he does it. That's the thing that makes Chuck's person, Chuck Person's tell the story. It's so interesting. If he just hits the three, it's not interesting. So there's something to be said about talking a little smack like the MMA fight model before you knock the guy out, saying you're going to knock him out and then actually doing what you said. The second thing is there's a power play that's being made when people say prove it. But, right? but hold on, hold on. Is he trying to be underestimated or is he trying to talk a well, bunch of smack? Is he trying to doesn't care what people think or does he want people to know that he's great? Like there's too many and even on the underestimated thing, if you want your opponent to think you're crazy, that's one thing. You do a little crazy. 
But if you do so much crazy that your friends and family and the teammates don't trust you anymore, then you're now you're, you're doing yeah, yeah, more and, than just, and, you know. And there's a difference between talking smack and talking gibberish. And sometimes Craig goes into the talking gibberish domain. So there's so, there's so many competing things. One, he's trying to hype himself up and talk smack. Two, he's trying to be underestimated. Three, he's talking crazy on purpose. Four, he really knows what he's talking about and we can all see how smart. Like, it's very hard to parse what's happening. I can explain this. There, there was, are multiple Craig Wrights inside that guy, I think. Like, he's, he's, like, he's like Conor McGregor, man. So, so there was an MMA fight where you know how, like, like they have those pre-conferences, right? Conor, Conor McGregor says, I'm going to knock his little head off. And the other fighter says, come do it right now. The whole crowd screams. The guy says, if you can knock my head off, come do it right now. Right. And then Connor seems to contradict himself. He doesn't go knock the guy out. He behaves himself very mannerly. The crowd is screaming for him to go prove his words. And Connor knows if I try to prove it in the way that everyone else wants me to prove it, I'm going to lose my opportunity to do it in the ring where that's the only victory that truly matters. So one, it is very important to me that I talk smack. It is very important to me that I be respected and seen as this powerful person. But it's also very important to me that I don't play other people's power game of submitting to their prove it the way that I want you to prove it. Jump when I say jump. And you, and you build hype and you make the victory better and you have people say, ah, see, he can't prove it and, and underestimate you in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, there's, there is a game you like- You get all three of those things it. in one swoop. We, we, we can put it succinctly by saying this. If Craig is trying to win the I want everybody to believe I'm Satoshi game, he clearly seems to be losing that one. But if Craig is playing the, I want people to underestimate me game. So by the time I achieve the real victory, it's too late for them to stop what I'm doing. Then you can make an argument that he's actually dominating the game right now. Yeah. But, I mean, but, God. I was just going to say, I just think as a general principle, I mean, I think it's just dangerous to assume, you know, the person's motive or the person's motives are like your motives. Um, it's also dangerous to assume anybody acting crazy is always playing 11 D chess. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I, and that people, I mean, in Bitcoin, you're talking about this intersection of finance, banking, governments, NSA, cryptography. So who the hell knows what types of incentives and threats this guy is responding to behind the scenes? Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible that like <laughs> people can also get crazier over time, given pressure, given increased power or decreased power, given circumstances. And so like, Craig seems more scattered when you hear him talk uh, now than a couple years ago. Um, and I think there's, you know, accounting for that. Like, let's say people are like, oh, well, look how con- inconsistent this is with, you know, whoever wrote the white paper. That's true. Uh, it sounds very different from Craig Wright. But I also don't discount the possibility that it's not the same you know, Craig Wright is not the same Craig Wright as he was either over time or whoever else was involved. Like people can kind of get wild. I mean, look at, look, look, you see this a lot with professional athletes. Look at Antonio Brown. Look at, you've, you've seen guys that achieve an apex and then they literally lose it. Mike Tyson. Antonio Brown is like locked up in his house right now with police outside. Right. Like look at Mike Tyson, but like early Mike Tyson versus late career Mike Tyson. Right. So like that's, that's on the table as well. There's a lot of things on the table. And if he, if he really is Satoshi, what he's been through in the past five years is unlike what any of us have ever experienced. You probably like, 
I would say the likelihood is extremely high that you're going to have a very different demeanor. Probably so going to feel a, a, a really ticked off. I think this means that our next conversation should be devoted to the analysis of the Craig Wright enigma and other various conspiracies. We should. Theories. We should talk about the the probabilities of various conspiracy theories around Craig Satoshi Blockstream. <laughs> there's there's plenty of. Yeah, well, block, again, Blockstream's like Blockstream's like not even probability tether, anymore. Tether market point. manipulation. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that have a a non-zero probability of being true that would sound kind of crazy. And someday in retrospect, uh, whether the truth comes out of all these things or not, I think amidst all of the things that appear exactly as they are, there is a ton of shadiness in the crypto space all over the place. It's just hard to tell what it is. So that's a great topic for next time. Anybody want to throw in a final thought on has your, has your bullishness or bearishness on your preferred version of big block Bitcoin changed since our last meeting? It seems like everyone's kind of roughly the same as where they were then. That fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much, pretty much the same. All right. This has been fun guys until next time. Thanks guys. Thanks.